This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery. The show that tonight is also powered by our wonderful, wonderful listeners. Uh, I am Stanford Chich, of course, and I am joined tonight by uh, a VIP, a Chelsea Fancast VIP, in fact, the absolutely lovely Mark Meehan, who, I should remind you, uh, knows everything about Chelsea ever in terms of their history. He's the current chairman of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, and he is a, a, a multi-book writing author on all things Chelsea as well. We are certainly not worthy, Mark. Oh, thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for the kind introduction, Chidge. Now, I'd say everything post-1970, you know, if you asked me the outcome of a game in about 1921, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, but yeah, I've been up to my neck today in, in book stuff today. So obviously there is a book just about to appear probably within the next seven days or so. Yes, I hope that the, 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 the people that we've got joining us tonight are going to talk about that because it's, I, I know for a fact that you're very excited, I'm very excited and I think all the people who, you know, put money onto Kickstarter are also very excited and there's lots to talk about that. Uh, there will be lots to talk about um, Chelsea, I think. Yes, yes, there's always something to talk about when it comes to Chelsea. So whether it be transfers, Potter, how we're playing... Jonathan Kidd being boring. I don't care. They can ask the questions. We will ask them. Is Jonathan Kidd boring? Apparently, according to Apparently. Uh, yeah, one of the punters. No, that was I, that was a good letter the other well, day. Well, you know what? I, I should I should because I'm a decent human being, and uh, I should say that the the gentleman in question has subsequently written a huge apology in mortification. I don't think he expected me to read it out. Uh, I, you see, I, I didn't expect him to be listening to the show, considering he said he wasn't going to anymore. So I thought, oh, I'll read it out. But he's written a huge apology, which I, I, I will forward on to Jonathan, and I'm sure everybody will kiss and make up, which, of course, is the Chelsea fancast way. Now, um, I'm going to introduce the lovely people that we've got with us, and then I'm going to do our usual mixler plug, and then I'm going to do our usual goal break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to get straight into it. 
So, um, if they'd all like to release their mute buttons, I will introduce them one by one. Uh, in no particular order, uh, we've got Johnny Briscom, who we've not seen before. Johnny, um, tell us where you're from. Hi, Chidge. Uh, I'm from, well, originally I'm from Maidenhead in Berkshire, but I now live in Torquay in Devon. How lovely. Yeah, nice part of the world. Not bad. It's all right. Well, it's good to see you with us on the first one of these. We've had a few, and uh, we've got a few regular faces too. None other than one of my lovely favourite people in Discord, Mr. Daryl Middleditch. Evening. Evening, Chidge. Evening, everybody. Good to see you, my friend. It was lovely to see you at the Cundy gig the other week. Yeah, that was very good. Very enlightening with the media. Uh, I know. I'm still trying to rescue the podcast, but I will try and get it out. But uh, yeah, good to see you there. Uh, We have the lovely, very faithful, long-term listener, long-time listener of the fan cast, loyal supporter, Mr. Brian Justman, all the way from California. Yep, that's me. Uh, It's been, gosh, we're going on 11 years of listening to the fan cast. So I was... I'm not going to say we were, I was there when it was shit because it was never shit, but I've been there since yeah. <laughs> a long time. Brian, p- people get less for murder these days, you know. That's that's astonishing. <laughs> 11 years. So you were there pretty much from the get-go. We we celebrate our 15th anniversary in April this year. So there you go. Yes. That's not bad. On my birthday. On your birthday. And also my mother's birthday. No, not quite my mother's birthday, but nearly... We've also got the lovely, and uh, not talking about people who've been listening to the show for a long, long time, the fabulous Bob Uzray, who I think you're also in California, aren't you, Bob? Yeah, Modesto. Yeah, good to see you. I know that doesn't mean I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone. Well, I've I've heard of Modesto, but I couldn't tell you where it is. <laughs> it's in California. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just, just throw a dart, you'll find it, you'll get near it. All right, well, good, Bob, good to see you in here, as always. Yeah, you too. We've also got the fantastic Matt Young, who I had the pleasure of having a pint with earlier in the season. Yes, that was Wolves. That seems like it was our last win. Yeah, it seems like a bloody long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> October, I think. I know, man. Anyway, evening all. Yeah, good to see you, mate. You're in Dubai at the Likewise. moment. Uh, we got yeah. some. We got some old, an, an old friend and a newish friend. I think we've got David Lotzer, who of course wrote a lovely email that we read out on Monday's show, and he's just joined Patreon. Lovely to see you, David. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for for having me. And uh, yeah, I come from Dallas, Texas. Uh, so it's a long way, but happy to to be part of it. Been listening yeah. for almost seven years now. So so fun to finally be on. Well, lovely, and it's it's actually really fortunate that Jonathan Kidd's not on the show tonight because I'm sure, like me. The minute he heard you say you were from Dallas, Texas, would probably want to break into the Dallas theme tune. Uh, I won't do it. I, <laughs> I won't... was hoping for it. This yeah, I mean, I, I won't do it on it. my own. I won't do it on my own. But if Jonathan was here, he would. Uh, good to see you, mate. And last but by no means least, the lovely Gabriel Ewan. We've seen you in here before, Gabriel. Good to see you back. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, I think this is the first time that I've uh, actually sit down on a Q&A oh, show. Oh, right. I thought you'd been in the before. The last two times I was working around, I can't have my face on because <laughs> yep. I'm in my working environment. So thanks for having me. I'm very excited. No, lovely. Well, that, that that's exactly right. Because I do remember you being here, but you did have to, like, you know, you were working. So well played you. Right. If you lovely people would like to go back on mute and then uh, when you want to ask a question, usual rules apply. Either stick your hand up or, uh, I mean, some people are clever and they can do this kind of virtual hand. I've never figured that out. So just stick your hand up. Make make sure you get my attention and uh, go off mute then and then ask your question. And then we'll just have a free for all after that. The reason I say stay on mute is that quite often there's like background noises going on, which drives me up the wall when I'm editing it. But 
Uh, very quickly, Mixler. Many of these people are actually in Mixler of a, of a Monday and a Friday. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday and Friday at new time, 7.30pm, so we can all have our dinner first. And then people don't complain about us munching during the show. Uh, anyway, if you want to go to Mixler, join in all the fun there. So lots of people chatting about what we're talking about and what they're talking about mainly. Chelsea-fancast.mixler.com. And uh, as I said, you can join in all the chat, listen to the show while you're doing it and catch up on everything Chelsea. And you can follow us on all of the socials, of course, at Chelsea Fancast. Listen and subscribe uh, on Apple, Acast, uh, all good uh, podcast platforms, really. And of course, leave us a stonkingly brilliant glowing five-star review or even a shitty horrible nasty bitchy one we they amuse me so i don't care really but uh, five stars are nice obviously right we will be getting into the q a right after this As I said, we've got, I mean, you know, we can talk about anything, really. I mean, this is a Chelsea show, so I would imagine we would be talking mainly about Chelsea. But, you know, do, do um, you know, take advantage of the fact that you've got Mark here. I mean, Mark is the chairman of the Chelsea Sports Trust, who have got their fingers on the pulses of most things Chelsea-related. Um, I talk nonsense, so if you want to ask anything nonsense-related, I'm your man. Uh, but also, as I said, Mark's got this new book coming up, which is called Come Along. Uh, about the 1983-84 season. I'm sure some of you have already, you know, pre-ordered it, but uh, talk to him about that. Maybe the 50 years shows as well. Mark's been absolutely integral. He's the brains behind those, really. So so there's other things to talk about other than, you know, Potter in, Potter out, all the new signings coming in. Are they any good? So who would like to go first? Put your hand up, take yourself off mute, and uh, don't all rush at once. There you go. Daryl, quickly in there. Well done, mate. Sorry, sorry. Um, I was doing a little bit of research today because I re-listened to the ninety, the eighty-three, eighty-four season, fifty years, and Mark wasn't on that. So this question is for Mark. Can you? I tell you, um, what, Daryl. Daryl, can you remember who was on it? Kelvin, Kelvin, and oh, Clayton. Yeah. I can't remember because it was only a couple of hours ago. Yeah, I listened yeah, yeah. to it. Um, you did briefly touch on this when you did it, but obviously Mark wasn't there. So I just wanted to ask Mark what he thought, considering the season before, was he optimistic going into the 83-84? And if not, was he once we signed, you know, who we signed, but they weren't particularly well-known players. Or they were known, but not prolific. Evening, Daryl. Good good question. Um, Good evening. uh, I think... Many times I've said on the video show, I'm an optimist by nature, or, or, or always have been. So, obviously, having witnessed the 82-83 season and going up to Burnham Park on that penultimate sort of like game where Clive Walker scored to keep us up, I don't think it could have got any worse. I always look forward to a season. I'm always optimistic about a season ahead. And I think what I liked about the 83-4 season was that whole scale transformation that Chelsea did at the time. And 
there, there are probably similarities at this present moment in time at the new administration. We really got rid in the summer of 83, a lot of players for, for various reasons, who's probably best days at Chelsea passed them and brought in half a dozen new players. You could say, what back John Hollins, but he was still constituted a new player. And you always go into the season with that level of optimism. But I don't think I, and probably even any of the 17,000 people there at the Derby game, ever expected the outcome of that first game. That was a tremendous first game because Derby County, they were pre-season favourites because they had Peter Taylor as their manager and they had, I think, John Robertson certainly was playing for them and I think they may have had one other ex-Derby player, uh, ex-Nottingham uh, Forest player from their European trophy day. So Derby were like the red-hot favourites and we just came out of the blocks. I've literally, because he's a good friend of mine, I've literally come from having sort of lunch with Nigel Spackers today and Spackers gets us off to sort of like a goal in the first couple of minutes. And it just went from there. It was just a tremendous start of the season, winning 5-0. And I'm trying to remember who scored. Um, Kerry? Kerry got two. Because yeah, again, uh, uh, no, Cannes didn't score. Didn't uh, Kerry got, no, Kerry got two. Chris Hutchins scored because Chris Hutchins is in the book. And we've got a cartoon of Chris Hutchins in the book when he, he goes away from celebrating his goal. Kerry got two because because I'll, I'll chat. We, we need to chat about Kerry later. I'll chat to him earlier today. And there's a picture of Kerry when he scores the first goal, and you've got the East Stand behind, and Clive Walker's congratulating him. So I was just saying to Kerry today. Kerry asked me a while before Christmas if I could get some coloured prints done of that for him, and I've got them, and I haven't arranged sort of like to get them to him. So as we're going to be meeting him, which you know about Chidge, shortly, yes, um, about, about, about the book, um, I said, shall I bring him down on that day? So he sort of said, yes. So Kerry got two, Chris Hutchins scored, Spacker's got us off to a great start. Can't remember who got the other one. It'll come to you in a flash, mate. Oh, I know. Oh, Mr. Walker. Mr. <laughs> Walker's good. Because again, to be fair to Clive, Clive made a really good start to the season. He was sort of first choice, and I can't remember, I think it was an ex- Chelsea youth player, I think, at Middlesbrough, where he got his jaw broken. And Clive never appeared again. And then you know, Pat Nevin's career took off. And we never saw Clive again until he came back and scored against Sunderland against his in the Milk Cup. So, yeah, uh, I was optimistic. But I think even I was surprised at how, how quickly those signings John Neal made gelled and that tremendous start we made to the season and I think the turning point actually where I actually thought, you know what, we're definitely going up, I think was the, uh, the signing of Mickey Thomas when we had a slight flip. We'd, we'd lost to Middlesbrough in the league in and around New Year. Then we got knocked out of the FA Cup all of them about the same week. Mickey Thomas comes in, makes his debut against Derby. And then, then that tremendous home debut, I think it was the anniversary of a tweet about this week, where we beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-2. And I think... I think Mickey Thomas coming in and just thought, yeah, we are we are going to go up. And then it was just, at what point in the season do we cross the line? But for me, I think other than the 76-77 season, it is, I think, a bit like Kelvin, this is probably one of my favourite ever Chelsea seasons. We're all of the same age as the players. Yeah, they see that unity between supporters players. The fashion as well. So like uh, the, 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 the Sergio Tagini tracksuit tops, etc., so yeah, good good time to be a Chelsea fan. And, and the shirt, yeah. Oh, the shirt. Oh, yeah, the shirt. I didn't like it at the time. No, really? No, no, Why no. Not? no. My initial reaction, the red, 
Uh, that red stripe across, and you sort of think, oh, that's not Chelsea. But then you, you know, you then think in history, actually, we did have red in our kit mm. many years previously. But you grew, I grew to really like that kit. And I think the, the ironic thing was, um, that was, I think, like the first ever shirt I bought was the 78 9 away kit. And I didn't buy another shirt until the 83 84 season. I actually did get that shirt that season. Mm. So, good question, Daryl. Excellent question, Daryl. Um, I, I was not optimistic at all, at all. I mean, as Mark said, we'd had the worst season we'd ever had before. We nearly went down to Division Three, and uh, and like you were alluding to, I, I didn't really. I mean, we you know we still had a lot of the same players. Uh, I didn't really know much about any of the new ones. I mean, as 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 uh, Mark said, John Hollins was back, but he was old. So you know, I was like, oh, you know, this is this this is going to be another season of turgid survival in division two but uh i mean i think mark's right absolutely right i mean that game set the tone for the whole season really i I just i mean it's incredible to think about it now that one game can turn around the fortunes of a club and i mean i know we always talk about the bolton game in the previous season saying that if 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 that had gone pear-shaped we might have gone out of existence because we would have we would have been so financially screwed by being in division three but actually, I think if you look at this game, you know, that that was the start of the turnaround of Chelsea. And, you know, I really do think it set the tone for the season. And, uh, you know, wow. What a, what a, other, bloody, other, what a other, bloody good game it was too. I think the other thing I'd add as well is it probably set the tone for Derby County. Because they actually got relegated that season, if I remember rightly. They went down to the third division. So they started as the hot favourites to get promoted. And they end up get, going down the division because... I don't think they, I think we overwhelmed it, and I don't think they ever recovered from it. So they had a really poor season and went down. Yeah. And they had Archie Gemmell playing for them That's as, it. as well as John that was Robinson. the other player. Yeah. yeah, it was Archie Gemmell and John Robinson. Yeah. So there you go. I'm sure there'll be a few more questions about the book. Um, but uh, who would like to go next? Don't all rush at once, and don't hold back either, and don't be shy. Otherwise, oh, there you go, Gabriel. Well done, mate. Saved, saved by the bell. Far away, mate. Okay, so I was just reminded that uh, yesterday, um, or two years ago yesterday, it's the day where we appointed um, Tuchel as our um, head coach. And I'm wearing this shirt that I got uh, from um, the uh, gift card that I won uh, at the Art of Football. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> so my question is, um, what is your favorite Tuchel moment? And um, I have some more questions, but um, I'll just add it one at a time. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good one. Favorite Tuchel moment? Um, oh, bloody hell! For me, there are there are so many. I mean, it, it, as a general, as a general kind of favorite. Uh, uh, okay, I have two favorite things about Tuchel. One was his touchline antics, where he'd just go batshit, a, a, a kind of like, he looked like a will a windmill on crack. Uh, and I kind of really just loved that, uh, getting into the players and stuff. I, I loved his press conference, like JK, I, I loved his press conferences because he was so intelligent and so brilliant at dealing with the questions and the way he... I, I mean, I loved his honesty. I always thought he was really honest, but just a, a really intelligent, uh, knowledgeable man. And I just... I just, It was just a breath of fresh air, really. Uh, by the way, as an aside, I think, I think per- personally, I think this is why Jonathan has such a a beef about Potter because 
you know, dear old Potter is is media trained to an inch of his life, and and you know he is quite possibly not very charismatic, but his presses in comparison to Tuchel's, there is no comparison, and I think Jonathan finds that hard to deal with. But yeah, those are my two kind of favorite Potter things. But favorite moments, I love, I love the. I think it was it was in the Champions League final when we beat City. Uh, didn't the players like they they either kissed his shoe or did something like that because he, he he wore his lucky trainers. And I thought that, that was that was that was brilliant, and uh, that will stay with me for a long time. I mean, there are millions of others, but I think that'll do for now. Mark, um, I think similar to you, I think his press conferences, his, his press conferences, like uh, a breath of fresh air. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's probably the memorable moment, but I have to give him a lot of credit about that whole process we went through, where he was like the human shield for Chelsea Football Club, where when all the shit was going down with Roman being sanctioned. And the questions being asked at the press conferences had very little to do with football and the teams he was picking and the formations he was playing. And it's more about the wider things going, going on. And I thought he handled it magnificently. So sort of like real hats off and to, 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 to that. It has to be Porto. You know, obviously, greatest memory. And then him, him coming into the dressing room afterwards, like we'd won, we'd won the Champions League. That's a memorable moment as well. And I think the other one, probably... At Stamford Bridge was when the the We Are the Shed Boys unfurled that banner to him last season, yes. and you see that look on his face when he's on the touchline when it's pointed out to him, and that's, that is a really really beautiful moment where, yeah, he really I think I think Thomas Tuchel really belonged at Chelsea Football Club. He was a great fit as a Chelsea manager. It's a shame he's not there. He's not coming back, um, but so we we enjoy that short period of time we had as a manager and the success he brought to the club. But I think, yeah, my favourite moment is probably that bit where he's looking up at the shed and they've got the banner of him. That's a really, a really good answer, Mark. What about some of your favourite moments? Gabriel, you got a favourite mm-hmm. moment? I think, um, well, there's so many, just like you said, but my favourite is probably um, his quote of he's going to drive a seven-sitter of everyone to the game if, oh, yeah. uh, during his sanctions. Yeah. 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 Um, just shows his dedication and his love for the club, and yeah, he's truly like a Chelsea, like everyone said, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be my favorite. He, he was so, he was statesmanlike during that period, wasn't he? I mean, I, I'm still seething by the way that he was hung out to dry by that the previous board who just hid in the shadows and made him front up, but uh, it proves what a what an what an able guy he is actually, and I I think the going I don't, I don't mean to, to to hog hog it all at the moment, but you know that's one of the things I really liked about him. I just felt he was a man with huge integrity, a lot of honour, uh, and you know I, I mean it was such such a weirdly rare combination in a football manager to have that and to be an absolutely filthy disgusting winner who would do anything to win. You know, usually people like that are are are, are basically psychopaths. Uh, I'm not making it up. It's it, they, they prove, leaders like that have proven to have a very big psychopathic power spike. But uh, he had that. But he had an amazing humility and compassion as well. He was a, I, you know, it's, I'm so sad he went because I, I really thought he was the main man for us. But hey, as Mark said, he's not coming back. Anybody else favourite uh, Tuchel moments? I'll take that as a no- oh no, Matt, Matt and Johnny coming right at the yeah, death. I- uh, Porto, I mean, the whole thing about Porto and getting there for a start, but actually the final itself, it was, it was, I just had this feeling he had everything under control 
And I guess uh, I had faith in him. And I don't often have faith in Chelsea. That's not true, I do. But him especially, there was just something about that night. It just felt like everything was going to go our way. And even though we were only 1-0 up, I remember saying to somebody I was in the pub with, with like 60 minutes gone, don't worry, this is going to be all right. And I'm never, ever like that, especially with Chelsea. But Porto was just a wonderful, wonderful experience in some respects better than um, 2012, but for different reasons, I guess. That that will that was the first, so that will always be special. But Porto was really just awesome. Were you there, Matt? No, I watched it in Magetigans in Souk Madinat in Dubai. Yeah. Um, it was packed to the rafters. There are about 200 of us yeah. packed into this. It's not a small pub, but we have a small area. And and the atmosphere in there was just amazing. We started about eight o'clock and I think the game kicked off at 11 or midnight. I think it was 11, actually. It kicked off. It was like a really long wait. It was awesome. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's awesome. Uh, Johnny, you you wanted to have a picture with a favourite Tuchel moment? Uh, yeah, for me, it would have to be the... I love the, the one about the driving the bus and having the kit and all that stuff. Well, that was inspiring to be honest and i'm surprised that he didn't get a longer like contract for life off the back of that kind of representation of the club but the run down the line at spurs when reese james scored was it's what i remember where i was i think i'll always remember where i was when he did that and then of course at the end of the game he wouldn't let go of conte's hand and that was pretty entertaining oh yeah yeah um, but, yeah, um, yeah. yeah that run down the line it was fantastic i love that yeah he was a he was a special character. Right, okay. Next question. Who would like to ask the next question? Uh, David. All right. Uh, Johnny, I was going to say the same thing. So you, you took that one from it. But just like the end where we saw like how skinny his legs actually were until he was running. Uh, it, it, was, it was funny and, and yet loved at the same time. Um so my question actually was going to go back to Mark and kind of what y'all were talking about there, where uh, we thought the club was going to go down to division three. Um, and then Derby was kind of the the team tip for promotion. And then they went down. Um, what about that Chelsea team kept us up when everything was kind of looking back down? Like what qualities do you see in that? And then I guess the next follow up question to that would be, what do we not see in this current Chelsea team that we want that team to have? That's a bloody good question, isn't it? That's a really good question, David. Really good. I, I think, oh, the 82-83 the season, it kept us up. Um, they had no qualities. I was about, <laughs> I, 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 was, I, was, I was sort of thinking back um, and obviously what came after that, you know, and I don't get me wrong, there was, there was players in that side and that's why I said earlier, perhaps some of them had, had run their course, shall we say, uh, in terms of their Chelsea career. But I, I think you did have players there and I, I, you know, you're going up to Bolton thinking, hang on a minute, you know, if we don't win this today, we, we're in danger of going down. There's only one game left. So, and Bolton did go down. It was a very much an all or nothing game. But I, th- I think we did have players with character and resilience. We had Joey Jones. And obviously Joey Jones was there the following season. And clearly, clearly Joey Jones was a cheerleader for the fans. He got the crowds going, running around, waving his fist before every game. You had someone like Mickey Joy. Yeah, Mickey Joy, I think, understated Chelsea Football Club because he joined Chelsea almost like at the fag end of their successful time. He was there like in 1971. we just won the Cup Winners' Cup and then we went into that period of decline. And he was almost like an ever-present for many years that followed after that. And he, he was club captain at this particular moment of time. 
and you had someone like the like of Colin Pates, who then went on to be club captain the following season, and John Bumston was playing at that time. So you had the nucleus of some really good players there, uh, but and you had other players whose you know, career at Chelsea you know, pretty much came came to an end after that point. So, and they're good guys, like you know, so so the likes of Gary Chivers, uh, Clive Walker, Mike Fillery, good players on their day, but I think. Their, their time had actually come. Like, okay, you know, sort of that. Sorry, Clive stayed for another season, but I think that at one point, and Clive said it himself, there was a possibility he might have left left that summer, but obviously he left the sort of following January. And like Mike Fillery, tremendous left foot, absolutely tremendous left foot. And you know, we talk about the silky smooth Kai Havertz, but Fillery had very silky smooth player, but there were days where he'd frustrate the living daylights out of you. So. There, there were good players there, and I think a lot of credit has to go to John Neal. I think John Neal very much decided like who should stay and who actually should go, and then did the sort of right things about bringing in uh, the right players. But in terms of this season, I think I think this season is just being sort of like a, a probably a one-off, you know, in sort of like modern-day Chelsea history, and I think it's unique to sort of many fans that have never experienced this before. I think everyone think that could go wrong this season probably has gone wrong. And I think most of it starts and begins with a repetition of obviously last season that continually, when we have Reese James and Ben Chilwell in the side, we seem to be a much better football side and the system seems to work. They fell away last season through injury, so did we. It's happened again this season. And clearly losing our manager. I don't think that has helped one bit. I know there's good reasons why the new administration decided to part company Thomas Tuchel. So that, that's gone wrong. That hasn't helped as well. We've had a lot of bad luck with other players being injured as well. It's, it's, for me, I've written off this season already. And I think this is a good period, hopefully, we'll go into where the new signings have come in, the players come back from injury. We get a bit, a, a bit of our old Chelsea back. I still think what we are lacking, though, if we bring it back to that 82, 83 side, we don't have enough strong, resilient characters. We don't have a Joey Jones. We don't have a Mickey Droy. Uh, and in more modern times, we don't have a Diego Costa up front. We, 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 we're a very nice team, I think, to play against. And I think the best example I can give, the Crystal Palace game the other week, you have that moment in the latter part of the game. And I love Conor Gallagher a bit. So I think Conor Gallagher should be an ever-present in my view. He, he brings some energy to the team. Connor, whether it's shithousing, whatever you want to call it, he's down on the ground. Crystal players pick him up. He goes down again. To pick up. He's got four players now surrounding him. And the only one who was quick enough there, who is a leader, who has got resilience with Thiago Silva, subsequently Mason now piled in there as well. You go back a few years ago, you would have had a queue of Chelsea players piling into those Palace players and looking after their teammates. So I think we lack a bit of that at this present moment in time. We, we are we are nice. I think we're nice, you know, nice group of players. We, we don't have enough nasty sods in the team. Yeah. I kind of echo a, a lot of that. Um, I mean, you know, it was a bit rude to say they were, they had no qualities at all because, you know, that's not, not true. There were some great players there. Um, you know, Colin Pates went on to be a great captain. Johnny Bumstead was... You know, brilliant, a brilliant servant for Chelsea for very, for a very, very long time. Canners had his moments, as did Clive. I mean, Colin Lee. I mean, I think Colin Lee is very underestimated as a as a Chelsea player. And of course, 
uh, Mark's already mentioned Mickey Droy. I tell you what, the two things that occurred to me about that, David, um, and that era, really. I mean, if anybody's heard the uh, the interview I did with Gary Chivers, with, with Martin King, which was, you know, arguably one of the best we did, actually, because Gary is hilarious and very honest and very funny. And, and he gets it. And he gets us too. And and he said, he said, you know, you think about this. He said, for for that period, kind of post post Eddie McCready, uh, you know, we 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 knew as players, we knew we weren't very good. In fact, I think he might have even said we knew we were shit. But he said we still had this amazing connection with you lot. It was like you knew we were yeah. shit too, but you still got behind us, you know. And for all of their flaws they they were they were good lads that we did identify with i mean it's i mean i think i, I bring this up because it's i mean look at gary now he's still well loved you, you go i mean you know and he and he didn't have a hugely long career at chelsea and he went on and played for brighton and a few others i think but he he, he considers himself chelsea and you know he gets a lovely reception whenever he's around he's always he's always on the match day hospitality most of those players are still incredibly well loved and you know, I think that speaks volumes for them uh, and their character because we were kind of really having a dig at what they may- maybe they had a lack of character, but also for us and the way that we supported them back then. And of course, that's a million miles away from now, where you get these wombats on Twitter, you know, coating off the likes of Mason Mount, Mason Mount, who's only won the Player of the Year award for the last two seasons. So it's a very, very different world. However, I think. Just I what? think the other thing, sorry, sorry Chidge, I was going to say as well, sometimes you need to have a bit of luck. Yeah. And if you go back 12 months with that group of players, yeah. they knocked out Liverpool in the FA yeah. Cup. Uh, and that fillery blinding goal at half-time against Tottenham, 1-0 up against Tottenham at home in the FA Cup. If we got past Tottenham, Tottenham went on to win the FA Cup that yeah, year. Yeah. So you, you, they, these sort of things ha- happen in football. You need you need the rub of the green to go with you. And if they'd won the FA Cup, it might have been a different eighty two eighty three season. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you can say of that 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 era of Chelsea. I mean, we we were shocking at times. I mean, that season with Jeff Hurst, where we didn't score a goal away for about six months. You know, then and then Danny Blanchflower as well. Some shockingly shockingly bad managers and sides and players in some respect. Um, and yet, there was always the feeling, even then, that Chelsea were a sleeping giant. I mean, you hear this about clubs today. I mean, everybody goes on about Newcastle, you know, sleeping giant. And the reality is that we were, and and a bit of luck, and a bit of good management, some really, really good buys by John Neal. And the next, you know, when we when we go up in eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, we we ended up being what sixth mark, I think, in the in the first division. You know, yep. and and I think we I think we were fifth the year after that. I mean, we we were really we we were back properly. Um, as a, as a as a we were we've always been a pretty big side. It's a complete myth that oh Chelsea yeah they've never been in it. We've just been shit a, a few times, but basically we were we are a big club. Anyway, the thing I was going to say, Mark, which I know you'll agree with because I know you love the man to bits. For me, I mean, David, you're talking about leaders and things, but the the best thing that John Neal did, which I arguably, I think, did keep us up, even though it was by the skin of our teeth, was signing Joey Jones. Because this guy, okay, his legs had gone a bit, but he was an absolute fighter, scrapper and leader. And and he he almost single-handedly dragged that team with him that season and, and I think was... I think he was very instrumental in keeping us up. I don't know what, what you think about that, Mark. No, I I, I would agree. A, a, a born leader, yeah, had, had you know, 
<laughs> you wouldn't want to get tackled by him. If he hit you, you knew, you know. Well, he got he, sent he, off on his he, debut, didn't he? And again, that's the ironic thing. We were chatting about Joey off after the Fulham game because obviously Felix got sent off in his debut. And I think I think we said it was the first player since Joey Jones to get sent off in his debut. And I goes oh, the modern day thing is Twitter. But I, I remember that when Joey got sent off at Carlisle, there was there was sort of murmurings from the fan, oh, who have we signed here? You know, he was no good at Liverpool. Walker skinned him in sort of like the seventy eight cup game. I don't think he ever played for Liverpool after that, did he? No, I don't think he did, yeah. And but yeah, you know, I think he then went to Wrexham. And he had a, a few years at Wrexham where he clearly played with John Neal. He played with Edwin Vicky at Wrexham uh, and probably reinvented himself. But, yeah, he was no glamour signing when Joey came in. But he was a born leader. And I think he made a real, real difference to that side. And you're right, I think he played a key role in just making sure. But, again, I'll bring it back to Mickey Joy as well. We were on our legs by the time we went to Bolton. I, I went to the Burnley game, which is the way game before. And we lost 3-0 up at Turf Moor. And Burnley's always a bleak place to, to go to. And you're, sort of, you're staring down the sort of proverbial barrel at that point. And I think even John Neal was struggling at that point. He had, he had people with banners in, I think, the Sheffield Wednesday and Robin home games demonstrate games saying John Neal goes. It wasn't, a, wasn't an easy time for him. But if it's true, what Mickey Joy said was you have to play Clive Walker against Bold. If you play Clive Walker... Clive will keep us up, boss. And Mickey Joy was proved right. Mm. I, I didn't know that. That's, that's interesting. By the way, David, I, I, I agree with Mark. The, the, the problem we've got now is that there aren't enough, there aren't enough leaders in the team at all. Um, and I think his point about Gallagher was, was spot on. So I won't, I won't just repeat what he said. Uh, next question, please. Daryl, did you put your hand up? You did. You're on mute, mate. I've already been on. Sorry. That's yeah, all right. No, already... don't worry about it. People, people will dip in yeah. and out as they want. This one is well. This is for you, Chidge, as a psychoanalyst. Um, after the World Cup and the Brighton game, oh, not the Brighton Bournemouth game, and I was I was in the shed and I was stood there and I was properly nervous. I was properly nervous after the you know the shit run we'd had, and. I'm just wondering, are we all masochists? As a psycho, should we all be diagnosed as a football fan? Yeah. <laughs> did you have all... Do you know it was what? Just... I, yeah, go on. I had a, I had a conversation with somebody today, um, and I and we talked. We said I said I said exactly this that he happens to be really into his football, Chelsea, as it happens, and. Uh, you know, a lot of people go to football to scream and shout and, and let it all out. And and I, I said, I wonder if, you know, it's it's the football. I wonder whether it's our madness that gets taken into the football or if it's the football that makes us mad. If you see what I mean. So, you know, if we like having a rant or whatever or a moan, that's what we that's what we take to the football. We take our own kind of neurosis to the football. Or is it the football that drives us mad? Or is it both? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just I thought of it and I was thinking, why do I do it? Why do I do it to myself? Week in, week out. And you're just thinking, yeah, I was just properly nervous. And I don't know why, because it's, you know, it was a it was back in Bournemouth for fuck's sake. But it was just after the shit run, it just felt nervous. And that was the first time for a very long time. Mm. 
I think I think we you know the thing is about football. I mean anything that we do ostensibly for fun, um, we 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 do it because we need something. You know why why do we go to the football and watch a shit team that doesn't score? Because that's the definition of stupidity. I mean it is isn't it? It's the definition of insanity. Going doing the same thing repeatedly, expecting a different result, and yet you know I'm, I just go back to the Liverpool game with Mudrick, who came on. And in that, that 25 minutes or 30 minutes that he was on, he did more in that 30 minutes in terms of flair and creativity and excitement that I think we were all saying on the show. It got us out of our seats than we have for the for the entire season. And actually, that's why we go. We go in hope. I think it's really about hope, Daryl. We hope, yeah, we hope to I see thought, something. Yeah, I, I think it was just, it's the high. It's, it's the win. It's the goal. It's the... That's what drives you, and that's yeah. what that's what keeps you going. So. Absolutely, and the beer. <laughs> yeah, well, and the beer, but yeah, not in the ground. Clearly, um, no, no, not that shit. No. No, I hope that I hope that answered your question. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. Any more? Any more psychoanalytic questions? I'm happy to answer those as well, as long as they're not about me. Uh, Matt. <sighs> well, this, this, hopefully, this is an interesting follow-on. I'm not sure it's a question or a point, but I'll get there eventually. Um, you know, just listening to the talk and when somebody asked a question about the 83-84 season, which I was 15, rising 16, was the most exciting thing I'd ever not seen because I wasn't allowed to go. So when we beat Derby 5-0, I was in Canada. I wasn't even aware it was going on. I had to see in the Toronto Post, Chelsea had won 5-0 and even I was taken. I was like, wow, especially having nearly just been relegated the previous season. But if I compare now how I feel about Chelsea and I'm more excited than I ever was, even though um, we seem to be absolutely shite at the moment um, compared to what's gone on the last 20 years. So I wonder if there's a connection between, you know, you mentioned people like Gary Chivers. There was, I never saw Gary Chivers play, so I can't say, and, and I listened to that podcast and he sounds very entertaining, but given the team he was in and how they played and they nearly got relegated, they probably all were shit. That's why they nearly got relegated. Um, so there wasn't much to admire about him as a footballer per se. Um, but so I wonder if it's because we were all younger and, and football brings out the the young man or the little boy or something like that in us. And, and that's why we love it. Because I don't get as excited today about, let's say, Mudrick looks like the most exciting thing since sliced bread. But mentioning his name doesn't get me going the same way as if you mentioned Kerry Dixon, yeah. it's like a smile breaks out across my face. Yeah, so I just wonder if that's a if that's a thing. I think that's a really a really good point, Matt. Um, I, do you know what? If there's a difference between now and then, um, I think I think simply put, it's down to exposure, and I think the modern game is overexposed. This we all know, and I think back in those days, you know, you only really you know got to know anything about the players through things like the, sh- the wonderful shoot annual uh, and, and, and it's and it's like um, the big match, match would occasionally have a hilarious interview and if you've never seen them just check out some of the YouTube ones with Ray Wilkins and Jock Finiston being interviewed on on the big match it's absolute comedy gold because of course none of them are media trained so, so they're like a car crash waiting to happen and very understanding so there was no exposure of them so only really, only kind of really knew them through going or or catching up with stuff like that, and there wasn't that much about. So in a, in a sense, they felt like hours. 
they were ours. Whereas mm. now, they're everybody's. The Premier League belongs to everybody. Everybody likes football. Everybody watches the Premier League. Everybody has ownership of it. They're not ours anymore. You know, they're just, they're commodities. Where, mm. as Mark said, we were the same age as, as the guys in 83, 84. They were us. I mean, and they were. They, were, they weren't millionaires. They weren't removed from us. They would, they would punch you if they disagreed with you or they would, they would go and have a drink with you if they liked you. You know, they were real. They were like us. And I think maybe, maybe you know, you know what they say, Matt, about, about uh, prejudice is basically based on the unknown and, and we fear the unknown. So we fear who we don't know uh, or we dislike who we don't know. And I think we were closer to them and we knew them. And because of that, we had more empathy with them and we didn't coat them off for being shit, simply put. Fair enough. We actually you, you did, to be fair, else. Matt, Matt, we actually did. Yeah. We did coat them yeah, off no, for I the know. games, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> You're talking to the man who in the first season was conscious of Chelsea, which was uh, 78-9, we got relegated. The first season that I went regularly, which was 87-8, we got relegated. And and there started the love affair back when I was eight years, in fact, before that, but eight years old was when I first remember it. But you said something interesting there about the Premier League and everybody loves football. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but I say to people, I don't love football, but I love Chelsea. I will not sit and watch Man City Liverpool or Arsenal Man United's on, in fact, kicked off 15 minutes ago. Other than the fact that we're doing this, I wouldn't sit and watch it. I've got a million better things to do. But if it was Chelsea versus anybody that is all i'm doing yeah so i say i don't like football i love chelsea you know you know what matt i'm i'm having a meeting uh uh not this monday monday following with a with a mate of ours daryl will know him tim tim who was at the uh cundy do uh and he's got a, a bit of a a, a sideline going in merch and I, he's been badgering me for years to sort some merch out and i'm going to have a meeting with him to get some merch some chelsea fancast merch done and you just give me an idea for a great chelsea fancast t-shirt where i will have emblazoned upon it the legend love chelsea hate football put me down for an extra large <laughs> i think that'd be very appropriate i've often said that actually on the show haven't i so it would make sense but no you, you make a good point there right who's next thank next, you next question please there you go, Johnny first and then Bob. I'll tell you what, Johnny, you go, you go second because we've heard from you once, so we'll have Bob first and then Johnny. Hey, so uh, that email that uh, JK uh, had, <laughs> I was just thinking, it seemed to really affect him. You know, I mean, you, I listen to him, you know, every week, a couple of times a week, and he just seemed to, it seemed to just shut him down. I just wondered if he was, you know, if it affected him more than he tried to play it off. Yeah, he was he was bristling. This is why we don't. This is why we don't do YouTube. He, he, he was he, he he went he went white and then he went red and then steam started. No, it didn't really. Is that why you gave him the night off tonight so he could recover? Maybe. No, no, no. Because to be fair, Jake. Look, honestly, you know, let's have a JK chat. He yeah. works, you know, incredibly hard. He's on every bloody show. He loves doing it. I love doing it with him because he. I, I love him to pieces. He's a. He's a. He's a. He's an incredible character. Uh, I mean, you know, he can. How did you meet him? Um. Well, I mean, actually, you know, he's the only kind of boy band member of the the podcast. 
you know you know i always say that the other other podcasts are like boy bands because they put adverts in the press or whatever yeah. and we're all we're all very authentic and original because we're all mates and we met there jonathan actually was a guest on the show a long time ago he was uh well brian remembers yeah it was when we were still at putney station and i can't for the life of me remember why i had him on um i mean he was on the chels at the time and i know that dr mark knew him because dr mark went to some posh school in hammersmith with him so dr mark knew him but then dr mark didn't turn up for that show which was hilarious but i got him on that and i can't remember for the life of me why now but he was hilarious obviously and we all got on very well with him and he loved it he said oh this is great don't don't tell anybody but he said I love doing this much more than the Chels and I don't think they like me at the moment because I keep talking about Star Trek and Star Wars and they're getting pissed off because <laughs> they're all very proper Chels and I and I kind of jokingly said well you can come on any time you like mate you were great we loved you uh and then and then I don't know what happened and and so I, I really do you know what I don't remember how it happened but it eventually he became a regular guest and I think uh, he's a diamond I think he, yeah. he, he's worth every penny you pay him yeah, I mean, I mean of course he is. He, he's very, very, very funny. Very funny. And we have a very similar sense of humour. And I don't know. I always get the feeling with JK that he can take it from me. Um, Just about. <laughs> there have been occasions where he hasn't. But basically, he can take me you know having a, having a bit of a pop at him you know but he is he is sensitive you know there's no doubt about that he doesn't like being criticized at all he doesn't like it he gets very upset by it and some people do some people do. i mean i don't give a flying fuck really i mean you say what you want because i'm just going to ignore it anyway um but some people aren't like that and and I, he was he was like he was he was genuinely upset by it you know he felt yeah. it, he felt it was a personal attack and a personal criticism but that's his reaction. Look, he what you see with JK is what you get. He is an absolutely passionate, passionate bloke, and and Mark knows because you know we we see each other like we are here on the show. And as I said, it's maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do some YouTube things sometime because. Or th th what I can suggest is the other thing is whether we could get him to do it. Having seen him live with the Ruddy V's, <laughs> you know, uh, that that is just absolutely unreal it's incredible like some of us in the summer went down and saw him down in east london and it was it was a hilarious evening he is so entertaining uh, but even when he did his book launch when he wrote about his dad that was just another remarkable evening jk he's, he's a born entertainer yeah. he just can't help himself he's, obviously it's in the blood obviously um with his dad being an actor in that but it, what what you see you know what you hear on the fan is what you see when you see jk perform in real life yeah. And and he does lose it. That's what I mean. You know, when, when Mark and I see this, he he loses it. He mm. goes. I mean, I know you all laugh and 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 uh, secretly kind of guessing or Mixler. When am I going to shut him up? You know, like timing it. Uh, and 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 sometimes I'm a bit naughty and I just I just you know lob a grenade at him and then just watch him just explode for the next fifteen minutes. But I don't know anybody who can do it quite like he does. He's absolutely a hundred percent authentic uh and what you see is what you get but what you what you you may not see you know you have to kind of know him personally to to know this but he is one of the sweetest warmest people you will ever meet he's got a heart of gold doesn't he mark he's absolutely lovely very kind oh, man absolutely i've I've really got to know him the last few years 
And I think one of my favourite moments last year during the summer when you're back out, you're drinking, and like, I was working in Hammersmith, and at that time he was living nearby. And it was just like one Friday evening, I was sitting outside the bar, the River Thames, and I had to look twice, this guy cycled past, and it was JK, and he literally just jumps off his bike and comes running over and just gives me a hug. Uh, it's just, it was just a, a really beautiful, he's, he's a really lovely, lovely guy. But yeah, you know, yeah, he, he, he's sensitive as well. But I, I think one of my favourite JK moments is not a fan cast moment. I went along to his book launch and he does like to talk, as if you listen to the show, you will Who know. knew? <laughs> Who knew? And this is, so obviously he was doing the book launch and he did it, if, if you haven't read the book, um, he's written about all his father's, well, the first part of his father's like you know, film career. And he talks through the passage of the book and he's got a projector screen behind him. And as he talks through particular films, he puts the film up on the screen and he gives you a narrative about the film. And this is my dad's role and this is what he was wearing. This is what he did, this, etc. And before we know it, a couple of hours have passed and we're in this um, actor's bar in East London. And the lady that runs the bar said in rather sort of like posh voice, Jonathan Darling, I thought the whole purpose of this evening was for you to sell some books. So can I just give you some advice? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and he politely goes, oh, yes, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he is, he's a one-off. I, tell, I mean, the other yeah. thing about JK, which I know you lot all know because you've been listening to him for years and you get it, he is, he is so passionate about Chelsea. He, he loves Chelsea. It's, it's arguably... I mean, other than the other than the acting and the creative stuff that he does, it is the most important thing in his life. And you've got to remember, it's always been a part of his life. You know, his dad took him when he was a baby, you know, and he's been going ever since. And his passion and his knowledge about about Chelsea is is absolutely a hundred a hundred. I mean, he puts me. I'm a bloody Johnny Come Lately plastic compared to J.K. And we often joke about it, but. He's, his his Chelsea credentials are unimpeachable, and the reason he goes off and gets a bit mental sometimes about about the club, like you know all this nonsense about they have to win every game and everything has to be perfect, which I think is also a personality trait. But uh, I, he means it. He thinks that they should win every game. It's because he cares so much. He cares. I think he cares more about Chelsea than anybody really that I've ever met. I mean, it's it's off the scale and. That's why I mean, and for me, you know, as somebody who created this 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 show, that's what I want. That's what I always wanted. I wanted passionate people who were authentic about it. No bullshitters. It's not for show. You know, what you see with us is what you get. And he is the absolute, you know, zenith of that. He really is. So, all hail well, Jonathan Kidd. Did. Sorry, Bob. Sorry. Yeah, personally, I think he's, I think he's a gem, and he, he's yeah. definitely, you know, he's a star of that, you know, of the fan cast. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not completely stupid, Bob. You know, I know, I know when I've got a star. <laughs> well, I didn't, didn't think you was, did I? Well, that's why that's why I gave him a promotion, you know, to co-host. You know, I, I said actually I'm your co-host, really, J.K. But you know, there we go. Now, if I if my memory serves me correctly, Johnny's got a question. Yeah, thanks, Chidge. Uh, I wanted to ask you and Mark, I guess anyone else that wanted to chip in, like, what is the general feeling? around Chelsea now kind of testing the water because I don't know if I've felt a sense of anticipation at the players we've got coming back from injury, the signings that we've made, 
the fact that this could all come together in a matter of weeks before our strongest lineup, in my opinion, is all back on the pitch again. And then where do we finish this season? Is finishing top four out of the question? Is it completely gone? And then next, looking at next season, are we going back for the title again? Because the team that we put out against Juve last season was top of the league at the time. And it's not going to be a lot different, probably better when we get all these signings integrated and all our players back from injury. So get your thoughts on what, what you're feeling and you know where are we moving forward, where are we going to end up? Mark? Yeah, good, good question, Johnny. I think, as I said earlier, I, I, I think I've written this, this season off. Um, I don't think I don't think we'll get top four. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think we're in transition, but I'm I'm excited about the players we've signed. To be honest, part of me, if we may say something like the Conference League, it might be quite entertaining to go to Transylvania or go to Ljubljana or, or somewhere we've never been before in Europe. That that's you know part of the fun of doing European games to go to some different places. We but haven't won it all. We've been that. Yeah, and, then, and, and as you said, like you know, the other part of it, we won it, we can then say we have won it all. But playing on a Thursday night, we didn't even playing on a Sunday, and I hate Sunday football. I know we have to play it sometimes because of Sky, but you can see West Ham are struggling this season. They, they're in the Europa, Europa Conference League. They play, well, they did play obviously when they had that run of games like every Sunday. Um, so I don't think I'd fancy the Europa Conference League from a business point of view. And I think you're right. The last time we weren't in Europe, we came back and won the league the following season. And I think that could be something we could look forward to next season. We've got some really exciting players coming in. I don't think we're done yet. And I think we use the time we've got. Yeah, I was optimistic after the World Cup, but then again, key players get injured again. I thought it could be a level playing field coming back and never hit the ground running. Uh, could could be fine, but yeah, we've had problems since we came back in November. So I think we use this time wisely between February and the end of the season. We're out of the FA Cup, we're out of the Carabao Cup, and try and get a a side that we build build, build for next season. But having said that, the glorious unpredictability that is Chelsea Football Club. Would I rule out us knocking Dortmund out and perhaps getting to the Championship? Well, absolutely. I would not rule it out in any shape or form. It would be absolutely proper Chelsea to go and win the Champions League this season. Mm-hmm. If all of those players all came back at the right time, the new players gelled really quickly. It, it would be typical Chelsea to win the Champions League. I would not rule it out. Uh, nor would I, but I don't see it yeah. happening, to be honest. I mean, I think I think I can try and answer it in a different way, Johnny, in terms of you know the the, the mood... Uh, in the in on the street as it were you know the the matches and i think i think generally people we know where we are you know we we you know i think i think people are coming around to the idea that we are no longer owned by roman abramovich and i know that sounds like a daft thing to say but you know when you've had an owner for the last 20 years who fires a manager the first whiff of trouble you know it becomes ingrained in you it's almost like pavlovian you know it ain't gonna happen potter's here for as long as the the bowley consortium want him so i don't think he's going anywhere uh and i think it would be daft to get rid of him anyway and i know that this wasn't your question but i think the point is is that you know people are are actually quite level level headed about it i think now you know we've got these new players coming in as you said now here's the caveat until we've seen them all play, we don't know how good any of them are. We also all know that it could take them time to gel. Um, so there are no guarantees. But we look. it looks like we've signed some good young players. 
hopefully they'll be really hungry and eager. We've got some potentially very good players coming back in James, Chilwell, Kante, to name but three. Um, so I think, I mean, I don't know about you lot, but I also, I also kind of sensed on again uh, in the Liverpool game, it was the first time I actually thought, hmm, I, I actually think I can see see what Potter's trying to do here. I can see a Potter effect here. The players were playing in a slightly different way, and it looked like his ideas were beginning to get understood by the players and the way that they were playing. And this was before Mudrick came on. The way that we were attacking, the way that Gallagher and Havertz and Ziyech were linking up and the way that they were playing balls between the lines, it was very different from what I'd seen before. And I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe maybe it's beginning to click a bit. And you do have to remember this. He came in cold. He came in cold in September. They'd already had Tuchel. They were all very into the Tuchel way of playing. And remember, Tuchel, like Sarri, was a very, you know, it was very, uh, you know, what's the choreographed way of playing football, if you like. Very instruction heavy in terms of where you're supposed to pass the ball, what kind of moves you're supposed to make. I'm sure Potter's probably of the same ilk. But either way, they have to get that out of their system and then adapt to his way of playing. And these things don't happen overnight, you know, if they're complicated. And again, from what I've heard from about Potter, it can be. But I did see a glimmer in that Liverpool game of maybe a bit of Potter's management stroke coaching effect coming in. So a lot will depend on him, I think, in terms of how well we do and how far we get up the league and how well he manages to gel these players in. And of course, I think the difficult thing for all of us, and which is why we get a bit wobbly occasionally, is that we really don't know. I mean, we just don't know how and if it is going to work with Potter because he is in uncharted territory for him. He's never managed a big elite European club before where the expectations are so high, the players are so good, uh, the players' egos are so big. So there's so many unknowns that that, that we, we cannot resolve until we've seen time play out. But uh, hey, we'll see. I mean, for the, I don't th- I don't think we'll get top four. I really don't. Even if we go on a bit of a run, because I think we're just too far behind now. Uh, Champions League, yeah, Mark's right. Anything could happen there. But I think if you if you think about it, if we don't get Europe next year, if Bowley can handle that, and I'm not entirely sure they can because they've spent a lot of money now and I'm wondering whether that's in an attempt to get top four, but hey, maybe that's just the old Roman uh, kind of uh, Pavlovian instinct kicking in. But if they don't get Europe this year, then he's going to have a lot more time on the training pitch than than, than we, we normally have, and maybe that will accelerate the process and get us to where we need to be more quickly and hopefully he won't do a Conte and throw his toys out of the pram afterwards. I don't see him doing that. So it could stand us in good stead, I think. I think the other thing to add as well... Yeah, I think the other thing to add as well, Chidge, I think the next few games could be quite important. Um, We've got Fulham at home, West Ham away, Southampton at home, I think Tottenham away, which is usually winnable. We've got a good record at Tottenham. Then, Then we've got, I think, in March, I think we've got Leeds and Everton at home. Can't remember who we've got away. Yeah, so I think we've got about seven or eight games that are potential proper chills. Actually, pick up a lot of points from. I don't. I don't think we get into a difficult, a really tough game. I think until we play sort of like the likes of Man United and Arsenal, and that's in April. So we've got if we've got all the players back, we've got the capability of putting a run together. I just think we've probably left it a little bit too late. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I think. What, what do you reckon, yeah. Johnny? Well, the optimist in me thinks that because we're only halfway through the season, there's still so much that could happen. 
Um, but then equally, as quickly as those players can come back, they could be injured again. It seems to be the way that things go. Um, I didn't even mention the Champions League in my initial question, did I? But Mark's right completely. That's possible. The, the team that won it was fantastic. Um, the team that we could put on the pitch if they're all fit in a month's time, I think they could do it as well. So, yeah, I, I, because we've been crap, it's quite exciting what the future holds now, given what I'm looking at and what who's coming back and who we've signed, which success gets taken for granted, doesn't it? So us being poor recently sort of makes me appreciate that a bit more, I think. You, you know what? Something has occurred to me. I think I think the diff, another difficulty, difficult thing with Potter is, is all Tuchel's fault. And I mean this in the nicest possible way, because when he took over from Frank, he literally turned things around overnight. In fact, he turned them around in the space of 10 minutes at the end of that Brighton game. And then suddenly we stopped leaking goals. We started winning matches and the rest is history. But he just did it like that. So I, I wonder if our expectation was, well, you know, Potter's supposed to be this excellent coach manager. He needs, you know, we should be better now, instantly. Because we were, let's face it, the last uh, knockings of the Tuchel reign were not exactly brilliant in terms of the football that was being played and the results we were getting. But there, But we didn't get that. So maybe Potter's not, not like I mean I'm not saying he's not as good I mean I happen to think he's not as good as Tuchel but maybe he's just different and he does things in a different way and the way that he does things takes time he's not the guy that can come in and just instantly turn it around I don't know just put it out there anybody want to chip in with all of this it looks like we've signed a fullback breaking news breaking news Marlo Gusto but for some strange reason so we bought a, a right back from Leon. And we need a right-back cover. But we've agreed for him to go back to Leon on loan until the end of the season, so he won't join us till next season. Oh, that's genius, that is. That's a bit of a strange one, yeah. That's <laughs> the one thing we do need. We that's... don't We don't need any more midfield players. <laughs> that's yeah, so bad bought... shit. <laughs> I know, we bought a right-back, and it's basically saying on Sky Sports, we've agreed a £26 million deal, and we're loaning him back to Leon until the end of the season. Well, what, what do you lot think of that before we answer, go back into what Johnny was talking about? Brian? Do you think that means Reese is closer to coming back than we think? I think I think you're right, Brian. But I think my only worry is Reese has had a lot of time out through injury, and yeah, he's the type of player. Will he rush back, and will he rush himself back? Because he's he's such a great player for Chelsea, and he's instrumental in about the way we should be playing football. And my fear is, does he then get injured again? So we do need adequate cover at right back, and Dave is a great servant, but. Dave's a super sub. Yeah, he was brilliant coming on a sub last week, but he's not a 90-minute player. So this is a good signing. We buy a right back. Very good signing. But so why are we sending him on loan? Strange um, choice. I, sorry, Mark. Um, yeah. I did read earlier, it's, it's Lauren Blanc, and he's manager of Leon. Is he? Oh, right. Yeah, but he was guaranteed by the board that he wouldn't lose any players in January. They could go in the summer but not in January. He wanted to keep the team he had. That was what the board board had already said that was what was going to happen. So I'm assuming that's why they've had to agree to this, you know, coming in June. Oh, right, yeah. Because he's a young player. He's 19. Yeah, Yeah, another young player. Yeah. Mucho gusto. Um, Matt, you had your hand up before we uh, got diverted by the breaking news. <coughs> yes. Um, there was something said about the players and the number of managers and, and instructions and that kind of thing. And it occurred to me, 
I often hear you all speak about um, this is not Potter's squad in the same way it wasn't Tuchel's squad. They're all inherited, um, which must be a problem. But but the opposite must be true as well. So if you take a player like Jorginho, who was bought in by Sarri, who I think was the worst manager we probably ever had. I mean, the football was just horrible to watch. Um, Jorginho's been here since 2018. He's had four managers in five years. And he's a he's a great footballer. He was European footballer. He was in the UEFA Footballer of the Year team or something in the year we won the Champions League. He was fated. Um, so he's he's not a shit footballer. He may not be playing well for us, but I just wonder how it affects them having a, quite a high turnover of managers and, and playing to different systems. And there must be systems which suit players better than others. So while we always talk about the squad is not Potter's or Tuchel's or whatever, or Frank's even, um, the opposite must be true as well. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I, I you know, I, I, I kind of I raised that point in, in, a, in a, you know, a defence of, uh, of, of Mason Mao on Monday, didn't I? You know, mm. you, you have to fact, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't. And it's not, it's not just because, oh, it's all the FIFA generation's fault. It's, it's human nature. You know, we, we, we choose not to see what's behind the scenes. We just choose to see what we see, which is them playing football, either brilliantly or appallingly or whatever, you know. But, yeah. you know, we, we Mark and I know because we're close to the club and we know a lot of people who work for the club. And I can tell you that it was awful during that period when the club was sanctioned you know people mm. in fact and, and it's, it's it's not it's not hugely better now people I, I know people at the club who are worried that they're going to lose their job because they're going and to people, check. people lost their jobs during the sanctions people yeah. lost their jobs during the sanctions yeah. people are still a bit uncertain now because you know the whole re regime is going to change everything so the, the, there's a lot of human pressure that's going on and, and that's going to affect the players i mean i know that tuchel was brilliant in managing them through that and you know fair play to his leadership for doing that but they're human they're affected by it and the same thing you go and talk to any ex-player um the biggest problem that they all have is when a new manager comes in because they have to start from a blank sheet again so they're already like worried about well will i have a place will i fit into his plans is it all going to go tits up for me am i going to have to get a deal somewhere else you know so it, it, it human beings hate uncertainty and when you change <laughs> man yeah well they do it's 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 very true and when you change managers all the time you've got this kind of almost inbuilt yeah. cycle of uncertainty so <clears throat> i feel for all of them whether it be Jorginho or mount in in that context in a yeah. funny old way matt i have more sympathy for Jorginho because Jorginho is undoubtedly what the youngsters like to call a system player you know he was bought by sarri to implement his system which is all of this triangular passing and holding, you know, keeping the ball and all of that lot. And he's fucking brilliant at it. He's, there's, there are arguably very few people in the world as good as him at doing that. But Sarri went, what, three years ago? And also, there's, is it four now? 2019? Yeah, four years, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Sarri's gone and although we've tried to play variations on that theme, you can also make the argument, which we have consistently on the fan cast, that he's probably, he's just not suited to the Premier League and the way that the Premier League is played. 
you know, yeah. because they just run through him. He doesn't have the physicality or the pace. And people press more effectively in the Premier League than they do in Europe. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we won the European Cup. And it's interesting that we've actually done very, very well pretty much each year we've been in it with him playing. I can't for the life of me think why. Oh, maybe it's because we've got a player who can hold the ball up and distribute it quite brilliantly with absolutely no fucking pressure on him at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I have sympathy for him. I really do. I actually have sympathy for all of them because not many of us have to do our job under the glare of 40,000 people week in, week out. I mean... um, (laughs) If anybody watched me doing my job, I would be so embarrassed, <laughs> you know, so, so, so there's that. But by, by but, the way, know, Matt, Matt, are... Matt, JK yeah. would love to do this in front of 42,000 people every week. Yeah, well, <laughs> each to their own. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. But, but the other thing that was really interesting for me was, uh, I think it was last Friday's show. Um, you talked about Mark Kukurea and I think Graham Potter had said, that he has been experiencing some personal difficulties. And he then put in a pretty good performance, I thought, on Saturday, one of his best for a while. So I wonder if the coming clean about it helped him. But but also, I guess it's what you were saying before about, you know, knowing what's going on behind the scenes. Um, these are all somebody's somebody's son or somebody's husband or somebody's father. And, and the way some fans talk about other human beings, frankly, is just horrible. And, and I think we all have owe a response. We all have a responsibility to talk about them uh, in a nicer way. Like, be kind. I think that's what I'm saying. Be think- kind to them. Yes, it's annoying when Kepper screws up, but he was clearly going through something three years ago. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Matt. I think that's a lovely sentiment, and you're absolutely right. Very well said. No, yeah. it is very well said. Our dear friend Mark DJ, for who, who's wonderful. Bring won- your boots. Yeah. Well, I was going to say exactly. I mean, <laughs> J- DJ's got a, a lovely, mm. a lovely soul about him, and mm. in his DJ, for those of you who don't know, he he edits the uh, the CFC UK fanzine. He's a great mate of ours, and. Uh, he he always says this to people when they he, he you won't find DJ ever criticizing a player. You will never find DJ calling him out. And uh his stock response is exactly that. When he hit when he and he'll confront people in the in the terraces when they when they're doing it. And he says, Well, if you could do any better, bring your boots next week. And he's right. <laughs> How many of us I mean, come on, they've got more footballing talent in their fingernails than most of us have got in our entire body. That's why they're Premier League footballers, for God's sake. So, you know, it does make, kind of renders our criticisms of them rather inane, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, well, well, Matt, I... Matt, well put. Really, really, Thank you. really, well, really well put, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. Well, now, now I'm on my soapbox. Can I just, yeah. and as a referee, can I say the same thing about referees? Right? They're, no, they're def- all... definitely no, not. No. <laughs> and, and again, if somebody watched me referee, 40,000 people watched me referee, frankly, it would be embarrassing. But I think um, I think we also have to be responsible about that too. And that, that comes from a very personal point of view. No, do you know what? I mean, that's a, that's a really good point and a very fair point. And I think, you know, if, if you have to accept that footballers are only human, and we are only human then you have to accept that referees are only human but within that within that you know kind of smorgasbord of humanity you also have to expect you know accept that some some referees in the premier league are arrogant tossers you really do mm-hmm. they have an ego yeah. but so do we yeah. all you know that i'm not, That's not right. i'm not blaming them for it it's just a fact of life 
But the serious point about it, Matt, is is something that is I wouldn't say it's often talked about, but it you know it is on the radar. Is the way that referees are treated in this country? Let's just stick with England. It feeds through, and you hear awful stories every every other week about you know kids breaking in, you know sixteen year olds breaking into refereeing and twenty year olds breaking into refereeing who are getting assaulted, physically assaulted at the mm-hmm. you know at, at the matches that they're doing, and it's and even, I'm, even I'm, I'm verbally sh- assaulted. Yeah, yeah, well, it's really I, easy to do. Yeah, and I think there's a correlation between the two. Definitely. And I, it, I'm afraid, Matt, as you know, I mean, you've been going to football a long time, you know. And, you know, we we were talking about the psychology of football, weren't we, earlier, Daryl? And football is a bit of a blood sport as well. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm afraid the, I'm afraid the dear old refs are the pantomime villains. You yep. know, it, it it really is the case. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I agree with your sentiments. Sometimes we should have a think about what we're saying and doing. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I think there's, a, there's an element of occupational hazard about it. If you go into refereeing, you have to expect to get some stick. And there's always going to be differences of opinion, but at the same time, there's a there's a line, and which is often crossed that doesn't need to be crossed or shouldn't be crossed. And you know, I agree with you that the referees are the pantomime villains, but you know, no nobody blames the pitch. I remember Tim Flowers lit in a goal because a ball bounced on a bobble and sent him the wrong way. Nobody blamed the pitch. No, nobody screamed at the groundsman the way they'd have screamed at the referee if he'd got the decision wrong. And and they're kind of the same thing. You know, although the referee is a human being, he's kind of an inanimate object as far as the laws of the game are concerned. Yeah, really so, excellent point, Matt. Mark, did you want to chip in? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I went out with Neil Beard, uh, people don't know, who's the uh, elected supporters representative that sits on the Chelsea board. So Neil and I were out, out last night uh, and, and we went out and had a chat afterwards. And, and th- this sort of conversation we're having is very much sort of like, Neil was talking about a book he'd read, and you'd, you'd like this. He was talking about, and I've not heard this before, like people's, he called it their, what's it, inner chimp, you know, and he's always sort of talking about people's emotions and parts of people's brain. And he sort of says, like, yeah, they have the chimp, so like that, the chimp in their brain. It's called the chimp paradox. That. That's it. He said, that, you know, so he was telling me about this, and he sort of said, you look at fans in grounds, and he said, you can almost look, um, and people sort of say, like, oh, he's full on chimp now. And like he's, you know, he, he's behaving irrationally, and he's acting, you know, as human brains um, permission is what he's saying to me. So he's going to let, let me the book, but th- there is like that. You know, Matt's got a really good point there as well about how people behave sometimes. And I give the example: I was at the Man City game the other week, and I sat in a different part of the ground because um, a friend's both to you know um, Chidge and I he couldn't make it because of a train strike. So I used this season ticket in the East Upper. So I sat in the East Upper for the first time in ages. Okay instead of my usual and there was these guys behind me and i just thought it was fascinating everybody was an effing see you see you next tuesday and i mean everybody it was like full on you know it started with the man city fans and then it was pep and then it was the referee then it was mason mount then it was graham potter then it was georgina uh and then it was a band again then it's any sort of thing wow it's like you know th- there was no filter there was actually no filter and you sort of think i'm not sure you know even in my worst moments as a football fan, because we all lose it occasionally, I would ever for 90 minutes just behave in that way. And I, I just thought, I, I was laughing by the end of it. I just found them so entertaining because they they just couldn't change their sort of direction of travel. And it was only a one form of conversation. And then with 10 minutes ago, they left early. Of course yeah. they did. <laughs> well, their, their, work, their yeah. work there had been done. But this, go, the, been done. this yeah. goes back to my point 
to Daryl yeah. earlier on. You know, yeah. do do we yeah. bring our neurosis to the football, or does football make us mad? Mm. And I mean, there's a classic example. Those yeah. people who are using football as as a vehicle for their for their neurosis, for their insecurities, for their mm. anger, you know, for whatever. You know, that's 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 what I'm talking about. You know, um, so it's an interesting question. But anyway. Don't let me bore you all with that one. I'll be here all night. Uh, now, um, anybody got a question? I, by the way, I've got one in reserve from dear old Oscar, for, who everybody knows on our Discord group, who couldn't make it tonight. But he did ask a question, and it's, it's quite a, a trust-type question. But So by all means, ask trust. I'm not saying don't ask a trust question because of that. But who, who has a question aside of that? Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? Follow online commentary? Listen to the radio? Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Daryl. Take myself off there. Um, sorry, I'm going to take it back to the 80s for Mark. Um, and dear old Uncle Ken, was, <laughs> was there anybody was there anybody else in to buy Chelsea at the time? Was it just Ken? Was he the only one, or was it was it put up for sale? And uh, in terms of awareness, obviously, I'm only aware of Ken's involvement. But that's not to say because I've always said if Ken hadn't saved Chelsea, someone else probably would have done because of who we are, what we are, and where we were. Yeah, so all credit to Ken for coming on and saving the club for only a pound. But I don't think if he'd done it, I don't think Chelsea would have gone to the wall. I sorry, think someone was, else would have. I mean, obviously, like by count Chelsea. I mean, he wasn't short a few pennies, and he was already on the board. Did he? Was he never touted? Not, was he never asked? Not that I'm aware of. And I've read, I've read Brian Mears' book, and obviously Brian Mears sort of like you know talks about it. Um, I don't think Vi- you know, Viscount Chelsea was in the game to sort of take over the club. Yeah. 
But if you look back a few years later, there was a point where I think Al, Al Fayed, before he bought Fulham, wanted to buy into Chelsea. He, whether that was a shareholder or something more than that, don't know. But yeah, Al Fayed was certainly interested at one point in buying Chelsea. Right, that's yeah. Sorry, I was just I was just interested because I was listening and looking at the early eighties today. I was I just wonder that was just a sort of. Can, can I just say, Daryl, that picture you've got behind framed of Ray Wilkins, great. Yeah. Pic- I've got exactly the same picture framed at home here. It's a brilliant picture of Ray. Yeah, and the other is that Alan Hudson. I think yeah. I've got that. I've got that one as well. It is. Yeah. You, you have impeccable yeah. taste. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I just go. Um, I see that Anthony's been named the. US team coach, his son. Ah, well, that's interesting because I don't think Alan necessarily predicted that, but um, we, we do a lunch once a year on sort of Matthew Harding's anniversary, and Alan always comes along to it. And we were talking about Anthony when we met in October, and he was saying like he's doing really well with the USA side of things. And we were sort of saying, well, where to next? And yeah, I think he's saying, well, who knows? Yeah, he's doing really, really well in USA football. So, Great. He's been appointed. Good luck to him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's it's just for the two games that are coming up in their January oh, training oh, right. camp. So, but hopefully, if he proves himself. He might get the full time. Yeah. There we go. I, <laughs> I did not know that. Right. Um, and, it, and and the other thing is, it's another podcast. But Alan does a really good podcast as well. If you've never listened to it, he is he still doing that. He's still he's still doing it. Yeah. It gets. You know, I, I, I forget, but then it gets posted on Twitter. Then I remember to listen into it. Obviously, he does the music from that time as well. And I, I, I like Alan a lot. I know, yeah, he, he can be a, sort of like for some people, a sort of like, you know, a, a Jekyll and Hyde character. But Alan's always been a forthright, says what he speaks, you know, speaks his mind, says what he thinks. And he's, I find him in very enjoyable company. Yeah, I, I like, I mean, he can be a bit yeah. old. It can be a bit old school. I won't go into more details about that, but uh, I've yeah. always liked him. Yeah. We we did a great show with him way back in the day, you know, going back a long time, and uh, yeah, and about time we did it again. Actually, I might think about that, Mark. Maybe a troubadour gig. Do you know what? I think he'd be up for that. Oh, he'd yeah. definitely be up for that's that. That's a that's a good shout. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we do you think we'd get a get a good audience? Because he, oh, no, he, he is a bit he's a bit marmite. No, no, again, but again, and this isn't the criticism of Jason. I, I think Jason is to some people as well. But yeah. we're actually the talk, talk sports stuff. But it was a good crowd for Jason, and Jason was excellent the other yeah, week. He was, wasn't he? He yeah. was, he was, he was. Um, okay, well, I've got this Oscar. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I've got this Oscar question. But if unless anybody wants to chip in with one before, Oh, Brian's got his hand up. Sorry, sorry, Bob, you next. Yeah, I was going to segue into books because speaking of which, uh, the Hudson book is fantastic, Working Man's Ballet, which I have. And as Daryl knows, Daryl and I are the charter members of the Discord uh, book club. I, what do so, I have? Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a book club on, on Discord? Yeah, just me and Daryl. I brought this uh, beautiful thing. To <laughs> with great I'm not even invited to my own fucking Discord group. <laughs> no. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, but I, I was. Mark, hang, on, I was hang, on, hang on, Brian. Has Mark written a book? I had no oh, idea. He's written two. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> anyway, I was Mark. I was hoping to get a little preview of um, of come along and sing the song since um, I'll be expecting my copy any day now. Well, if Chidge if Chidge wants to keep you there for 30 seconds, give me 30 seconds and I'll do that for you, Brian. Stay yeah. with me one sec. You can do that because I can hammer him about this book club on the Discord group. 
Are we, can we can we officialize this? We we should have a we should have one of the what do they call them? Threads a or something? Channel, channel. yeah. Have Whatever a book. Yeah, is. I think yeah. that's a great idea. Well there's a few you can replace and, and you know, get rid of those and then add the book club channel. How about uh we've have we got have we got rid of Mr. Sticks uh uh channel yet? We haven't got rid of it. Yeah. I'm just checking it's to see right. if he's in Mixler first. Because he 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 does still come into Mixler, doesn't he? I'm sure you've all noticed that, haven't you? He he comes in, throws a bomb, and then disappears. Oh, does he? I I, it's really hard for me to to keep tabs on it unless Jonathan's talking. Obviously, then I can have a. Actually, that I should tell you this because this will make you laugh. You may have noticed in the show sometimes that when Jonathan's gone on rather a long speech, okay, and uh, then he asked me a question at the end of it, and I clearly have absolutely no idea what he's been talking about. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, it's because I've been while he's been going on. I know he's going on for a long one, so I just start reading all the Mixler comments. And of course, I I, I can't. I'm too stupid to be able to listen to what he's saying and read your comments. So I quite often get caught out with that. So there you go. But generally, as a rule, I don't really get a chance to to spin through it. But I know he's been in there, but I haven't seen the bombs he's been dropping. So they're usually uh, bully PR. He's will throw yeah. in Todd Bowley clear like PR and then just disappear into the night. Yeah, yeah. Back to the London is Blue Discord group. Uh, Mark, he has a book. This is the only topic currently in existence which I've been guarding with my life for the last month and trying to get all of the squad to sign it because I think we'll have an event later this year and we'll probably, as this is the first, this is the literally first edition, it's got the errors in there as well. You know, Clive Walker won't be listening. We've got Clive Walker's date of birth wrong in the book, but we, we corrected it. Um, for those, thank you so much for those who ordered it. Um, part of the reason I was busy today, I went to see, sort out the printers, pay them for the printing. So the book is literally being printed as we speak. Probably get delivered to us within the next seven days, I think the, the following weekend. And then we have this mammoth organisation where we're probably going to sort of like all get together and sort of put books in envelopes. And that's where the Kerry Dixon conversation came in. Try and get Kerry down because he's got a lot of pledges he has to sign. So that'll be like a military operation in about a week and a bit's time. But really, really proud of this. I think a lot of credit has got to go to Mark Worrell. If people listen to the show, they know Marco well. We had the idea to do the book because we all love the 83-84 side. But Marco had this vision to sort of go old school like the shoot annuals we liked as a kid so this is like an it's an a4 annual and obviously as well as having sort of like the traditional things in shoot shoot also had cartoons and we're quite lucky um we know a chelsea fan called richard shaler who's a cartoonist and how i got to know richard um uk band called the jam people on here will be fans of the jam richard did a book with rick buckler the drummer from the jam a few years ago where he did the cartoons and Rick Buckler crowdfunded, and I bought the book. And obviously, Richard did the cartoons. And through Kelvin, I found out that Richard was a Chelsea fan. And Chidge knows Richard. Richard's an absolutely fantastic guy. But his cartoons are absolutely amazing. So the challenge we set Richard is we sent him loads of pictures from the 83-84 side from that season. And he's replicated a lot of the cards, um, a lot of the pictures as cartoons. So the front cover is like a montage uh, put up there from that season, from the cartoons that will appear in the book. And what we've done shoot style, if people remember shoot as a kid, they used to have the shoot focus section where 
you'd ask the player what their favourite food was, and it was always steak and chips. Favourite actor was always Clint Eastwood. Steak Diane. Favorite, yeah, oh, steak Diane. Favourite singer was Diana, Diana Ross or Phil Collins. And if you weren't a professional footballer, who, who would you like to, what would you be or who would you like to meet? And uh, they want to meet the Pope or Muhammad Ali or the Queen. So Ford, done Ford that, Capri. But, yeah, Ford Capri is the car. So we've done a 1970s, 80s shoot style questionnaire with all of the squad. Um, and um, yeah, that's the back cover. Yeah. So if, remember, if people remember the pitch invasion, against Leeds where Ken Bates came on the pitch. So Richards recreated that moment there. And what else in the book? Uh, but, oh, there's lots of photos as well. So there'll be, you know, memory lanes and sort of photos we've got from that season. Hugh Hastings was a club photographer. I like the centre pages is if people remember when Chelsea won promotion, there's that photo on the East Stand balcony. I don't know how well you'll see it. Okay. What Richard has done, he's replicated that photo of that moment with the players on the balcony. Uh, it's, as I said, the, car, the cartoon Richard has done is just abs, absolutely amazing. We, Mar- Marco came up with the idea. It's just worked so well. Of the playing squad that have seen it so far, Kerry's seen it, Colin Pates has, John Bunstead has, Pat has, Hannes has, Nigel Spackman has. And they're just blown away by it. They, they've all said, where's my copy? And obviously, we'll make sure they all get a copy because they, they helped us produce the book. But I would say within the next seven days, the guy that's printing it and binding it will get books delivered to us and we can start posting them out to people. If you have pledged for a book with a signature or a print, because we've done some limited edition prints, it might take a little bit longer because we have to sort of pin down Pat, <coughs> Kerry, Hannah's and Mickey Thomas who people have pledged. Mickey will be a little slightly trickier because I think Kelvin, unless I go with him, uh, Wheelstone are playing Wrexham in the middle of February. And I think Kelvin's going to go up to Wrexham to see Mickey and Joey Jones and, and get Mickey and Joey to sign stuff and sign books because we're going to have an event at Stamford Bridge at the end of the season. And like we did with the Eddie McCready book in nine, 2017, six years ago now, we want to get as many of the squad back together for one night as we did with Simpson. That's the goal. That's the ambition. And I think hopefully we'll get probably somewhere between 10 and 11 of that squad back together in the same room. And Pat's agreed to be compared for the night. So watch out for that because I think that will be advertised. <coughs> I think yeah, DJ Dave Johnson's going to organise that probably from about March onwards. But the book literally, having paid for it today, gone in and paid for it, it should be landing with with us in the next seven days and then our military operations start to get it out to everybody. Yeah. Is there, is there a filthy rumour that I saw? There's a, there's a, a special fan cast apparently. I, I, by the way, I had no, I had no idea about this. I just saw it in the pledges. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> this okay. is true. This is true. He says he told me. I don't remember about this. I, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure I told you. you know, <laughs> or, or, or maybe over a glass of alcohol. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, sure that's we'd have probably it. Yeah, no, we, we've got um, we've got a planned fan cast where we're going to have some surprise guests. We'll have all the guys who've done the book, so it'll be a bit like tonight, but there'll be six of us who put the book together. It's been a real sort of like team effort, and we'll have a sort of a special sort of fan cast evening with everybody, and we're going to invite some of the eighty three eighty squad, eighty three eighty four squad along as well. We need to do that in a in a venue, really, don't we? We do. Oh, definitely. We, we, we need to do it at a venue. But yeah, we've got, we got to organise that as well. And then we've got the Doing May 
and the club are aware of it. We have the support of the club and we're just negotiating with the club to sort out the venue. It's likely to be Saturday the 27th of May when it takes place. Mm. Which is the last weekend of the season, isn't it? The day before? A day before, yep. So we can all go to the last game of the season with a massive hangover. If the Eddie McCready night was anything to go by, that was if if anybody was there, I don't think they were. That was just a. It was probably one of the most exhausting things I've ever done in many a year. I was literally drained by the end of that evening. I think a lot of the guys say it's because it's like put, it was like putting on a show. You were there, Chief. Yeah. But also at the same time, trying to corral twelve or thirteen ex-professional footballers, many of whom had not seen each other in ten, twenty, thirty years. It was very difficult, especially when they all had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were as hard to manage then as they as they uh, now as they were then. It, it was it was hard going, and I, I I had the task. Yeah, we had a little green room set up for them, and we had to change the running order on the night because the plan was we had various people. We we had a podcast that night. You did a spot. Hugh Rosen was there as well, and the idea was we'd have the squad on, and we finished the night with Eddie McCready. But we had to bring Eddie on earlier because the players just weren't ready. They were still busy catching up and having a beer uh, uh, over old times. But some of them, when they left the club, they hadn't set foot back in the club. Wow. Yeah, that's how professional football is. You you know, sometimes you have this tight bond in a dressing room. But once you go, you go. And unless you're path across and you keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Uh, Anybody got more questions about come along? Bob, Matt, thanks for your offer. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will, I will let you know. Really appreciate. It. I think the plan is at this present moment in time, if it all goes according to plan, the Sunday after the Fulham game is hopefully if we synchronise our diaries. And at this present moment in time, I think Kerry, Kerry is available. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're probably going to aim to get together on that Sunday. But if it doesn't happen, it goes over the, the following week. I'll, I will let you know. Yeah, yeah please do. Yeah. Thank you. And, and 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 thanks for buying the book as well. Really appreciate oh, it. Thanks to you, Brian, as well. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, yeah excellent. Uh, Bob. Yeah, I'm going to bring the mood down now. Um, I want to your opinion on Varid. To me, it's just destroying the game, it's, and I don't know what improvements they can make to it to make it work. Mm. What do you feel? Uh, I think that's a very good... <laughs> I think it's a good question. I, you know, I mean, I, Matt, is. Uh, I, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll have something to say here. Uh, I'll tell you what I don't like about it, Bob. I don't like the fact that we have no idea what's going on, and I think that that's criminal. And the reason I think it's criminal is because in rugby... With the uh, the TMO, you know what's going on because you hear it on the PA. In cricket, you know what's going on with the uh, the DRS reviews because you hear it on the PA. So why is it football fans can't be trusted to hear what the referees in Stockley Park are saying? To me, that is appalling. And I think that that would sort out a lot of the problems. And I think we resent it. When you're at the match, you resent it because you know that if they're at home on TV, they're seeing four or five different replays and they know what's going on. And we're sat there with absolutely bugger all information. So I think that's a problem with it. I think the other other problem with it is that there's a real confusion about what it's 
you know you 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 watch the tv like like we do you know the matches as well and none of the commentators seem to know exactly what the rules of var are and are always getting that wrong and i think there needs to be way more clarity about that and the third thing i don't like about it is i can't understand why it seems to work differently across europe and in the world cup than it does in england every week and i think that that's batshit insane as well what what the answers are to that bob i haven't got a clue i really don't but i don't know i mean i don't think you can win on it because we all used to moan like stink when somebody was clearly offside and it was a goal before var and now we just moan like stink because they're you know their fingernails offside so whatever system you've got we're all gonna moan i just wish that it was clearer celebrate that's the worst celebrate a goal now that is the worst thing about it you're absolutely right and and that jump around like a lunatic and the next thing you find out well we're just a lunatic well liverpool the liverpool match i mean i wasn't there but but mate i jumped up in my living room and screamed and shouted and then it all dissipated like a fart in a bean can it was awful anyway Matt's dying to come in for this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm gagging too. <laughs> so they're, they're going to start miking up the referees, but I can't remember when from, but I think it's soon. And and I suspect, given that it's English football, it will cause more confusion than than, than existed in the first place. Um, my own view is everybody clamoured for VAR, and now it's there, everybody wants to shoot it down. And I don't think we use it especially well in England. It seems to work perfectly well in the World Cup and throughout Europe. And we just seem to be doing it differently. And and I have to say, when I um, genned up on the laws of the game for the start of the season, I skipped a bit about where there are VAR technology in the stadium because I don't do football where there's VAR in the stadium. So I'm not entirely sure of when it should be used and when it shouldn't be used. But the words clear and obvious error spring to mind and then that's a that's a fan cast all on its own i think well, the, the word the word english exceptionalism comes to mind matt <laughs> fine example of it isn't it uh exactly mark well, and then yeah mark and then brian uh, yeah i i think the key point is that clear and obvious error and that's the thing that frustrates me about var and taking out that emotion out celebrating a goal is Let's put it in the hands of the referee. You know, if I'm a mile offside or a yard offside, those examples we've seen, yes, I see the value of VAR. But the point you made earlier, Chidge, having it measured by people's toenail, fingernails, arse, nose, elbow, arm, etc., that's just ridiculous. That, to me, to be fair to a referee, is not a clear and obvious error. You know, no, no referee in the English game can spot things by a fingernail, a toenail foot. Uh, and, and I think if, if a referee's given a goal on that basis, unless it's clearly offside, I get, I'd let those goals stand. I think we're getting into like the nth degree here as well. And I think Howard Webb has basically said, you know, he wants it improved. But I think the only way you, you're going to improve it is the examples that I've already said. Something is well, better in the World Cup and European yeah. football, how they use VAR. Mark, 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 can I just butt in? Idea. Can I just butt yeah. in about the line decisions, but the offside yeah. in particular? See, cricket yeah. have nailed that. They have they have the DRS review and yeah. they have umpires call. And they've yeah. actually built in a margin. Of, I mean, Daryl loves his cricket. He knows what I'm talking about. There's a margin of error of about half a width of the cricket ball. 
If it's if it's if it's more than half of a width of a cricket ball from not hitting the stumps, they won't give it out. So surely you could apply the same fucking logic to football. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a really good example. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, they, they almost. To, you know. yeah, they're, they're, yeah, no, it's fine. I, I think you know the people at Stockley Park are referees as well. Yeah, so I, I don't see. I, I don't, that's what I don't get. Is at times with VR, you're almost undermining one of your colleagues, and maybe. You know, referees here have all got you know, the knife into each other at times by by some of the decisions you know that they're actually doing. You know, it's I'd really like to be a fly on the wall when referees get together, when Howard Webb gets together on a regular basis and hear what they say about VAR because it clearly is not working here compared to the World Cup and European competitions. And I think the other thing that is fundamentally wrong about VAR, it's no interest to us because we've been knocked out, but I cannot see the FA Cup being a fair competition when VAR is applied only at grounds that have it. And so depending who you draw in the FA Cup, you will get VAR or you may not get VAR. That is not a level playing field in a competition. So for a start, until every ground in the country can have VAR at whatever level of football, which is never going to happen, you should not have VAR in the FA Cup. Yeah, totally agree with that. Brian and then Matt. So I had a point and a suggestion that I had put together way back when VAR had had been brought into England, because that's the only time I watch, really watch. Um, But I did, the last time I watched an MLS game, the broadcasters actually mentioned that they have a weekly meeting with the referees and they go over the previous week's VAR decisions with the broadcasters and explain why they made those calls. Obviously, that would be brilliant if that ever happened in England, but I don't think they'll ever they'll ever do that. Um, but then my one suggestion I had, I, I had actually typed this out in an email to the show and I deleted it before I sent it because I thought it needed a little bit more. I, I always thought there should be a challenge system with the Natscock decisions. You, you get one, one offside challenge on a goal per game that puts the jeopardy on the coach. If, if you think it's offside, you make that challenge, but you get that one challenge. If it's wrong, you lose the challenge. You don't get to call it again. And the challenge has to be made once the the team that scored the goal is back before they get back to their side of the pitch. Mm. That, that'll that eliminate all the posing and stuff on one end, you know, time delaying. Yeah. They've got to get back over there before that coach decides he's going to he's gonna make a challenge to the offside. Yeah, so, I mean, they do that in tennis and cricket, of course. So, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. Good shout, Brian. Uh, Matt? So, yeah, just to, I don't know if this is going to round off the conversation, but um, my experience of refereeing is that most referees just want to get the right decision. Um, They want to get the right decision amongst the team on the pitch. And sometimes between three people, even four with a fourth official, you screw it up. So if there's a system there that supports you, that can only be a good thing. And, And I think that's maybe what drives the, the Nats cock offside decisions because the line, the, the assistant referees in, in England are actually pretty good at judging offsides. Every now and again, they make a howler, but they're, they're pretty good um, on, on the whole. But those very, very fine ones that you can't tell that they need to draw the lines. Well, if that gets you to the right decision, then, then so be it. Um, to answer Mark's point, you mentioned what, what the referees talk about. I know he said in respect, respect to VAR, but actually when referees get together, they love talking about match incidents and sharing match incidents. That's all they talk about. It becomes quite boring, actually. Um, and I, I especially dislike those conversations. 
And then the last point I want to make is about the, the FA and, and adopting uh, technologies that are used in other sports or ideas that are used in other sports. Um, I don't know if this is actually still true, but whatever happens in rugby or cricket, the, the English FA have always been slow, from my own experience, in adopting stuff from other sports. And they've all, it's almost like it's a, they're above it. And just because uh, the Rugby Union Board or whatever they're called, the RFU, um, adopt something that, that's useful for rugby, it's all, it seems a bit like the FA just won't look at it. And the FA has changed immeasurably in the last 20 years it's now quite a forward-thinking organization especially compared to what it was even when i started uh, refereeing in the early 90s so maybe maybe that'll change in due course but that's always been my experience mm, interesting stuff yeah i mean you know it's interesting what you say there matt about you know a desire to get the decisions right i mean i think even the supporters want to see that too and actually in cricket with the drs that was the driving force behind DRS coming in because it's 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 actually it's actually pretty hard i mean i know it's hard to make decisions as a referee but it is hard for cricket because it's because you know obviously the kind of the way the game is played and you know the the the, the potential for for umpiring howlers was immense so there was a real think- dr- there was a real drive they wanted to try and you know make sure that the umpires got it right and it's it's actually it's actually proven there was a bit of a wobbliness because you I mean talking about Brian's idea of of, of having a couple of uh, uh, kind of you know you could challenge some decisions um, I mean there was a there was a there was a period when captains would do that uh, really as a tactic but I think that's that's all calmed down now and it's basically it's ironing out the obvious the clear and obvious errors who knew mm. so you know I can't I just can't understand why football can't just be sensible and have some common sense because there's plenty of it being applied in other sports uh daryl wanted to chime in i think didn't you daryl hello uh yeah sorry about i was just going back to you um you say that the, the the officials want to get the decision right on the pitch between the three of them four of them but linesmen won't even make a call on a throw-in they will not they do not put the flag up without a signal from the from the ref not true well, it's, it's not. It's not that they won't. They may have been instructed not to. They may not have seen it. I mean, running running the line is is one of the hardest jobs in football. It's very two dimensional. Personally, I find it easier to referee because you're in three dimensions. You go. You you run a zigzag down the pitch, and you're looking across the pitch all the time. Um, but when you're on the line, something can happen right in front of you, and you will miss it. You can be concentrating for 89 minutes and in the 90th minute, right in front of you is a crunching tackle and you just haven't seen it. And and it happens. So the the, uh, referees and the assistants do work very much as a team. The referee will always give instructions before a game. I'm sure at the much higher level, they're they're instructed how they should all um, uh, interact with each other. But um, I don't believe there's a referee out there that won't take help from their assistant at the kind of level we're talking about when we're watching Chelsea. It just doesn't... And I know how it looks. It's just not that way. Yeah, um, quite possibly. But it just every time you see, you can see it. I mean, I can see it where I'm sat. And it's like, fuck say, put your fucking flag up. And it's, <laughs> they just won't do it. And it drives you insane. Yeah, I know the feeling. Well, the, the reason the referee gives a signal like that, what you're talking about is when low down, they do that or that, right? Is, is is so that they're all going the same way. If there's a difference of opinion that they 
the referee will say, if I'm pointing the different way to you, just go with me. And and so that's then it, then it looks like they're all going the same way. Mm. It's like often I've been instructed if if there's a free kick in front of you, I've given if the referee's given the foul, put you put your flag up anyway, because then it looks like you're all acting in unison. Now you're saying the opposite is that the linesman doesn't put his or the assistant doesn't put his flag up, but um, that could be because of instruction from the referee of where the throw in's given that it's just not credible to give it, um, especially if the ball's gone forward quickly. Excellent. Matt, we're indebted to your, your expertise and unbiased uh, knowledge here because you know what we're like <laughs> when we talk about referees. Right, I'm going to make a suggestion, people, because we're, we're almost a, a couple of hours in and I, I kind of envisaged that it would be a couple of hours. I do want to ask Oscar's question, um, but maybe if uh, if uh, David and Gabrielle have got a question, may, well, well, I'll do Oscar's question now and then you two can think of a question you might like to ask and we'll finish with both of you. And then we'll call it a day. How does that sound? Yeah, good. Right. So, Mark, are you ready? Because this is directed at you, Mr. Chair. Um, okay. It is. Uh, it's from Oscar. Lovely Oscar on uh, on Discord. And he says, question for Mark. Not sure if he knows or is allowed to say, but what's the latest on the stadium development? <laughs> well, Oscar, all, 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 all I will say is look out for the, the forthcoming issue, which I think is out. For, is it out for the Fulham game, Chidge, CFC UK? Hurry up! Yeah, I, I think, I think I've actually written about the, the stadium uh, in, in that article. I think where, where things are at, what I can say is, obviously, I'm not sharing anything that isn't actually sort of like a secret, but I think Todd Bowley has come in and clearly one of the plans for the new administration is um, clearly Stamford Bridge. And I think that's quite an important strategic thing that Chelsea need to deal with. There's probably, for Todd, from conversations we've had with people at the club, four options. Option number one was not to increase the capacity at Stamford Bridge. And you might be surprised at that, but that was still an option. Uh, but actually improve the day-to-day match experience for fans and improve Stamford Bridge, the look, the feel. And some of that is happening if you're there. You might have seen the new scoreboard. They've opened up the West Stand after games. There's food trolleys before matches. So they're trying to improve the match day experience. Almost back to the original Chelsea Village vision was get people to come early and stay stay late. But that was option number one, actually, not change any of that capacity, but make the experience better. Option number two would be to do one stand at a time. Option number three would be for Chelsea to move out to another ground and they do the ground all in one hit. And option number four was probably a new stadium. I don't think option number four is viable. I don't think it's happened. I don't think the site is there. Um, Earl's Court, I think, is a non-runner. Battersea Power Station has gone. Option number one, I don't think it's an option either, although, to the club's credit, they have made some cosmetic changes recently. So it's option two or three. Option two, I really don't think will fly. When Ken Bates remodel Stamford Bridge between 1994 and 2002. He did one stand at a time and didn't touch the East Stand, which is long overdue, having sat there for the Man City game. I feel for you if you're sitting there. Great view, terrible facilities. Those three stands, Shed, Matthew Harding and West Stand, took eight years. That's a lot of building work. That's a lot of lorries. That's a lot of journeys in and out. There's a lot of noise. I don't think for one minute the local residents to the stadium 
will tolerate a stand-by-stand -stand approach. I think it's a logical one because you retain the capacity. So that means Chelsea have to move out. Now, if Chelsea has to move out, my concern as a fan, I think it's going to take a long time. They'll have to restart the planning process all over again, and they haven't yet started that. Todd's got a team working on designing a new stadium. So that's happening as we speak. So they'll have to put a planning application into the local authority. So 18 months from now, even though it's not that difficult to restart the process, they've still got to go through that whole process again. If they have to bulldoze the stand down, that's another 18 months. And then they probably take two years to build a stadium. So that's why I think if we're going to be out and have to move to summer, we're going to be out for five years. And I have a real concern with us being away from Stamford Bridge for five years. Not just for the local impact as well on the local community, the local shops, the pubs we go to, the places where we spend their money. There'll be nothing to come back to in five years' time, but also where we go to. The most logical one, if you look at what's available, I don't Fulham. think... Yeah, thank you, Chidge. Yep, that's you. You've just written my article for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone. Well, to be fair, Mark, I've been saying that when we were we had Wembley as an option. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone will get the Emirates. Certainly, no one will get Tottenham, West Ham. Mm, yeah, unless they build a train station and transport facilities, I don't think that's right. So that just leaves Wembley because Twickenham got been the last time that was considered as an option by the local residents. So five years at Wembley, from a selfish point of view, it'd be great for me. I can walk there. But I think it'd be awful for a five-year period. It would be great. And look at Tottenham's crowd figures for when they played at Wembley, only for that two-year period. They only got 80,000 for three teams. A lot of the time, the top tier at Wembley Stadium was not open because Brent Council only allows a set number of days a year for full capacity of stadium with respect to their local residents. So we'll be playing at Wembley in 40, 50,000 crowds, probably 50,000, which is better than we've got now. So positive, more people get a ticket and get a chance to see Chelsea. Oh, Mark, can I, can I, can I just butt in? I know, don't worry, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. So for me, what alternative is there? And the alternative for me is Craven Cottage. Yeah. Because yeah. Craven Cottage has moved to 30,000, but there is still scope. If Fulham wants to, those two stands, the Putney End and the Hammersmith End, they could build on that and make that bigger. So if they got up to 35,000 within the next five years, I'd go to Fulham. I mean, I was going to ask you, uh, what, what's, the, what's the capacity of Wembley that is not 80-odd thousand, if you see what I mean? Is it 60? I it's think it was... Between, between 50 and 60. I thought it was yeah. about 60. Yeah. I mean, here's here's my take on that, and I mean, I tell you what, Mark, you 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 know, it's almost like having an impromptu trust meeting here, mind you, probably just as well because I managed to miss Wednesday. Sorry, Mark, I did apologise. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a long meeting, so yeah. You know, I, I thought you were about to say. I thought you were about to say it was a lot better without me there, actually. No, was, no, it was a lot. It was a long meeting, so you you know, with you doing the fan cast a couple of nights a week and a long trust meeting, you'd have been exhausted by now. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. If you're not already. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, we we did a lot. We in in the annual survey, we we spent all the time during the whole stadium redevelopment issue under Abramovich. It it was surveyed every year. People's thoughts on various locations. We should revisit that and have a look, and present that to Bowley and Co. Because 
<clears throat> if they are thinking of Wembley, they need to see it now because my fear is this, Mark. If they want to make as much money as they can and bear in mind that that's what they're here for and two, they also want to get more fans into the stadium because they can't because it's restricted to, 40, to well, about 30-odd thousand and they have 120,000 members fighting for 5,000 tickets, they will go to Wembley no matter what we think because that's their best option to make more money and it's their best option to get more people hooked on going to see Chelsea who otherwise don't get a chance to go. But Mark's right. Uh, I, I say that because, as he, as he knows, I was saying this donkeys ago that the most logical choice once we knew that Craven Cottage was being redeveloped was to go to Craven Cottage. And you won't like me for saying this, and it is a bit selfish, but my thought was, well, the, whatever the capacity is at Craven Cottage, you can get all of our 25,000 season ticket holders in there. And really, that has to be a prerequisite if you want to keep them. The fear of going to Wembley, bearing in mind that the average age of most season ticket holders at Stamford Bridge is about my age, late 50s, a lot of them, we, we know this from the research we did, a lot of them say, well, that's me, I'm bailing out now. I'm done with it. I'm not going to go to Wembley for five years. But if we were at Fulham Cottage, they'd go every week. Um, yes, it would be unfair on the membership. But actually, with 35,000, you've still got a good chance of getting a fair crack of members in there. I don't know what the corporate uh, numbers is in, in, in Fulham. But it is the most logical, from a supporter point of view, for the club to move to Craven Cottage. But I think from a financial point of view, they'll want to go to Wembley. Or if you want a compromise... Again, use Tottenham as the example. Tottenham played one of their Car Carabao Cup games at Milton Keynes. So you could think about doing something differently. So if Chelsea went to Craven Cottage for Premier League games, could you do your Champions League games like Arsenal did at Wembley? Yeah. So you, you could get... So if you're doing your Champions League games, you're not in a situation where you're playing 20-odd home games a year and Brent Council only restricts you to max capacity, say, for one-third of that. You could probably play all your Champions League games and Tottenham's best crowds other than Premier League games were in the Champions League where you could get your full capacity and for those games, you will make your money because you've got an 80,000 stadium which is double the capacity of Stamford Bridge. You increase your corporate, your hospitality footprint because you've got Club Wembley there and they can make serious coin in those Champions League games to offset any money they would lose by playing at Cottage in front of 35,000 Well, they, they, I don't think they would lose too much because Fulham, would charge, no, a lot, Fulham would charge a lot less rent than Wembley charged Spurs. And the other thing as well, which the administration are concerned about, is the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge. If you go to Wembley, you'll have an issue at Apsor as well. Well, I don't want to get into a whole atmosphere discussion because we will be here until next week, let yeah. alone all night. But I'm afraid that ship has sailed and I'm afraid their business plan is not commensurate with having a good atmosphere. Because if you want a good atmosphere, you need to have people sitting where they want to sit or standing where yeah. they want to stand next to their mates and you want the average age of the bridge to come down from 57 to 23. And that ain't happening soon. And there's nothing they can do about that per se. The other thing which I, I think everyone should keep an eye out for is... The deal breaker in all of this as well, for any kind of ground ambition Chelsea will have, is the land that Oswald stole. And we won't know the outcome of that probably for a little while longer yet. Yeah. Bids have gone yeah. in, haven't they? Bids, bids, bids have gone in. There's no smoke out of the Vatican yet. But in terms of a grand plan, if Chelsea succeed in buying stole, 
that's a big game changer for Chelsea. And they could probably move a lot quicker than they can at the present moment in time because they've probably got longer-term plans. If I, if I if put it this way, if I if I was Todd Bowley and I succeeded in buying Stoll, I'd also buy the shopping centre at Fulham Broadway Station from a pure commercial point of view. And then the moment I get off the tube at Fulham Broadway Station, from a, a marketing person point of view, you're at Chelsea. At the moment, once you get to Stamford Bridge, you are. Yeah, if, if, that, if I were Todd Bowley, that's what I would do. You know what else I would I'd, do? Yeah, I'd rename the tube station Chelsea, and I'd do that as well. Good shout! Because there yeah. ain't there ain't no Chelsea tube station. He could do yeah. it. Yeah, Arsenal did it. Yeah. So there you go. Brilliant, Mark. Thank, well, aren't we lucky to have you on board tonight with all of that knowledge? Um, right. I promised uh, David and Gabrielle. Um, who wants to go first? David, by a short head, Gabriel. You can you can finish the show. You have the honour of finishing the show. All right, David. All right. Uh, well, I want to say second uh, Matthew's point on the referees. I uh, I coach over here in Texas. Same problems over here. We have massive uh, referee shortages for a lot of the same reasons that y'all do. Um, so I know that's one of the things I I try to do a lot as a coach is try to maintain those relationships with those referees um because they are the people that keep us going we can't play without them so um gotta have them in our system um so going to my question um what past uh so first of all i want to say that i think Graham potter will be great for the job that he has right now which is just trying to get us through this transitionary period i think he's a good guy which i think you kind of need for this right now um i think if you have a hard head it's really hard for people to develop and i think this is the whole purpose right now is to give four or five years for people to develop and grow so i think this is where he's going to be um i think he's going to do great but uh if there was another manager that you could choose uh from prior chelsea teams to take over this redevelopment period who would it be and you have to take one player from their squad as well to uh come in and play Okay, let me just run that. Okay, so I have to pick a, a manager who's played for Chelsea and they have to pick somebody from the team that they play with as their assistant. Is that what you're saying? Uh, for, to play on the team. So, like, for instance, if you were to pick Sorry, then Jorginho would be the yeah. player you would take with you. I know what David's getting at, Judge. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it now. <laughs> well, I, I, that's, yeah. e that's easy for me and you're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Frank Lampard and Mason Mount or Reese James. It's a Nat's cock between them, isn't it? But Frank, and, and okay, the reason being is that I don't believe he's a shitter manager as people are, are portraying him. Um, I, I, I think he would have turned it round had he stayed. I think he knew that there was something going on in the background. I think the club wanted Tuchel before they wanted Frank, but they knew that Tuchel wouldn't do it because of the the, uh, the transfer ban. And when Tuchel got fired from PSG, they seized the moment. I actually think they'd been talking to Tuchel before Frank. I really do. I don't know this for a fact. It's just my my own personal conspiracy theory. But uh, I bet you I bet you that, that that it may be true. So I don't think I think Frank would have turned it round. But I think I mean Frank did an amazing job under the circumstances he was under. Let, let us not forget that. But the other reason I would have Frank is because Frank gets Chelsea, and I know it sounds like an old soapy Yadar thing to say. But he understands the culture and the identity of this club. And he understands it at a time when that culture and identity is not necessarily under threat, but is, 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 has, a, has a risk of being 
pushed away accidentally. I think I'm being kind about Bowley and Co because I know that they're working hard on making that not happen. But it's a risk, isn't it, when when you change ownership and everything associated with that. And and Frank gets Chelsea, and he gets Chelsea the most successful period in the club's history. So, um, and also he has pulling power. He was one of the best midfield players of his generation across the world. People respect that. Players respect that. Players want to play for that. I know they want to play for elite managers too, but they do respect Frank Lampard. And I I I, I think we. We lost something when we got rid of him, and I'm afraid it was, you know, kind of symptomatic of that of that regime. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, his able able lieutenants on the pitch would be either Reese James or or, or Mason Mount. I, I'm going to go Mason Mount, and not just to piss all the Twitter wonks off, but uh, really just because I I I I think I think I think Mason. It's funny because I, 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 those who were there will remember this. I think Daryl uh, helped me out here, but. I think I asked Cundy that question, didn't I? Reese James or Mason Mount as the captain? You did, you and, did. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he and he said absolutely without blinking an eye, Mason Mount, and I I was quite surprised by that. But he no, said, I wasn't. well, he said, well, Reese James is much more introverted. Mason is not. Mason's an extrovert, and he is quite a leader. So yeah, so Frank and Mason Mount, David, Mark. I thought David meant a former manager and a former player. Is that what you yeah. meant? Yeah. Is, is that what you meant? You're on mute. Uh, no, so, so you had it right, Chid. So, okay, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it wrong. And then Chid, Chid, they right, played yeah. with. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. If that's the case, I, I thought we'd bring back a former man and former player. I would be at absolutely 100% with Chid then. I, I, I think, you know, Frank Lampard all day long then, no question. I think that short period when Frank was manager and brought those, it had shades of Eddie McCready for me. You know, that short period of time, and even, I know he's lost his job this week at Everton, but seeing some of the comments from Everton fans and seeing the reception he got for keeping Everton up last season, you know, there was a lot of respect by Everton fans. And I think Frank just probably just needs a break from football now for a short period of time. But that Frank period, it was just great. You know, I, I remember going to the Valencia game um, and just the atmosphere, like, you know, the fans singing sort of like, you know, We've got Super Frank Lampard. Yeah, that was the first time I heard it out in Valencia. I go, what are they singing? What are they singing? It's a, it's a great song. And that song grew and grew and grew and grew. So it was just an absolutely brilliant time to be a Chelsea sport. And I think COVID didn't help. And I remember the sort of weeks heading into COVID. In a matter of days and weeks, we played Liverpool in the cup. And we played Everton. And Everton was the last home game before COVID. And he brought Billy Gilmore into the side. And then Billy Gilmore... Georgina in midfield. And there seems to be something developing there. They really did under Frank. And then COVID came and, you know, the rest is history and that. And Frank eventually lost his job. But I would agree with Chids, definitely Frank all day long. And if he comes back involved in some way at Chelsea behind the scenes, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Mason Mount as well. And yeah, Mason as well. And again, yeah. I wasn't surprised with Cundy's answer. I've, I've actually met, I haven't met Mason, but I've met Reese. I met Reese at a player of the year do a few years ago. And I think he was young player of the year when he was just emerging through the academy before he went on loan to Wigan. Reese is very shy. He's a very quiet young man. Yeah, very quiet, very quiet, pleasant young man. Um, so I can see where Cundy was coming from when he's saying Reese is an introvert and Mason's an extrovert. I, I think, 
you need an expert as a leader. You do. So I, I see, I see Mace, you know, all day long. You do. I mean, the the only other one, of course, that would spring to mind, uh, you know, is, is is whether John Terry would ever, you know, get some sort of a position at Chelsea. I mean, I I saw those clips from Liverpool last weekend; they were absolutely wonderful. I I I hold, I'm not going to hold back here. I absolutely love the, the the ground that John Terry walks on. I really do. Um, I, I I I you know absolutely love him. I'd love to see him back in some capacity, and I know that's not necessarily. Um, you know, not everybody thinks like that, but uh, I, I, I love the bloke. Anyway, final question. The honour of the final question of the evening goes to the lovely Gabrielle. Right. So this actually leads perfectly into uh, my thinking because I was going to say something about Frank Lampard. Um, bless him, he's just got sacked by Everton. So um, in my mind, I would really love to see him back probably take the job um, of um, Petacek's uh, post as a technical director, a bridge between um, first team and the management group. Um, I don't know if he will have it that way, but if that was me, I would do it that way. And because I don't know if he still wants to coach or not, but if he doesn't, I think I see him, I see him as the perfect person in that role because so many players came for him and I also don't know if Dan Juma would actually uh, actually decide to go to Everton before he joins Tottenham because of Frank um, so um, I would really like to know if what do you guys think of that and the last question would be um, what do you guys make of uh, Win Stanley and uh, Christian Fifel's first window um, in the roles in Chelsea and uh, have you changed your mind on Top Bowley and Cole's um, uh, work since the takeover? And uh, are they still playing bowl, um, Dodger ball? Or, and um, what did you guys think of that? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> good, good question, Gabriel. I think I agree 100% with you on the Frank Lampard thing. As I said, if it happened, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. I think that would be a good outcome. Having people, and this is a criticism I've made at the club in the past, Having Chelsea people, I think, is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I think, as a club, we should have more Chelsea fans or Chelsea people working at the football club, either on or off the pitch. I think that just helps 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 enormously. On the second part, I don't think they've done a bad job, yeah, you know, in terms of like the transfer window. And I don't I don't think they're done yet. Um, Mudrick made a good start, and obviously we've got other players to come in. What I'd say about Todd Bowley, um, I was fortunate during the whole sanction bidding process, and Chidge knows this, with all the bidders that came in with the trust, we were really insistent on meeting with all the prospective bidders, and then we divided all the bidders up between us. So I only, I only did two bidders meetings. One was with the, the John Terry True Blue organisation, which I think most of the trust board were at that meeting, you know, <laughs> not, not just because John Terry was there, <laughs> but um, I did the Todd Bowley meeting and I met with Todd, uh, had breakfast with him one morning and he had Dan Finkelstein. And I'm trying was to Was it breakfast remember. in America? No, it wasn't. It was breakfast just off Oxford Street, <laughs> Chidge. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who the third person there I don't, I don't know if it was, was it the dad? I can't, I can't remember. Maybe it wasn't the dad. I don't think it was. Um, and everything Todd said at that meeting actually so far there's a consistency there and when things happen i go oh yeah 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 he did say that to me so some of those you know 
he was very clear, you know, when when he came in in terms of signings, that Chelsea will always be in the market for, as what he said, one or two marquee signings a year, what he calls, you know, big name players. And I suppose you could say, at the start of the season, we did that. So the likes of, you know, Raheem Sterling, big name, England international. But he said his vision for the club was a the academy, but b bringing in younger players to Chelsea Football Club. And a lot of the players that we have bought, we're buying for the future. We are buying some of the best young talent in Europe. And he did say that in before he actually taking control of the club. Yeah. So and the other things he did talk about, he did talk about the match day experience and improving the lot of the match day experience. And the most important thing of all, which has been consistent, very much into fan engagement, very much keen to talk to supporters and hear what supporters have got to say, seeing the importance without fans, there is no atmosphere at Chelsea Football Club. And the day I met him was the night after the Real Madrid first leg. And when he'd previously been as part of the bidding progress, he'd sat in the post seats. He actually sat that night beside Dan Finkelstein, who's, it was a season to get old at Chelsea. And he, even though we'd lost to Real Madrid, the thing that struck him that night was the atmosphere. So he was, yeah, he, 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 he was, he was listening to what we said to him as, as, as supporters. We talked to him from the trust point of view, the important thing about support representation, the important things about a shadow board, the importance about a golden share. And I think in some shape or form, a lot of things along those lines will happen under his administration. There will be a shadow board at Chelsea Football Club and there will be supporters on that board meeting with him and his directors on, on a regular basis. And I think there will be a golden share as well. And supporters will have a say on such things as probably future designer kits. Knight met with supporters representatives last week. It's a bit horses bolted because they've already decided to kit for next season. But I think in future years' designs, I think there's probably going to be a narrative that supports beforehand. Because actually, it's a no-brainer. If you want people to buy your kit, ask the bloody fans. Yeah. yeah. Indeed, indeed, indeed. I mean, uh, what was the first part of the question again? Frank Lampard, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Gabriel. I, I think I think the Petacek role, uh, exactly that. I mean, as a liaison between... The players and the and the and the senior management, or the you know not not Potter and and the that lot, obviously, but you know some some link some some representative or, or link or liaison role with the players, pretty much what what Czech was doing, would be perfect for Frank because he 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 will have he has clout and he has their immediate respect and he knows Chelsea better than all of them, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I think the difficulty arises to do that is the fact that. You know, Bodie's put in place a very extensive, you know, team of director of footballer type people. Uh, and there's a chance that there might be an issue with that because who, you know, in terms of hierarchy. But yeah, Mark's right. I mean, you know, y y y if you can have Frank back in the club in any capacity, I think we'd be a better club for it. As for Bowley and Co, I agree with every every word that Mark says, and and you know he was at the meetings. Sadly, I I was unable to go to any of the bidding meetings, not because I didn't want to, but my job just precludes me from being able to do that. They were all in London or, or on Zoom at a time, and I'm seeing, you know, depressed people, so uh, I kind of had to get my priorities in order, really. So sadly, I couldn't. But um, I think I think you know we'll see. I mean the the the, the, the 
the, the bottom line with with any new organization or any, any new owner that comes in and Bowley's no different is is you know the proof of the pudding is in the eating and that pudding takes a long time to prepare and eat so we we won't know for a while yet and i do yeah. but i do think that the signs are good i think the difficulty is in the in the world that we live in now with 24 7 media is that there is no time for context and there is no time for patience and people just forget but mark's it was really good to hear mark say that because they are doing everything that they said they were going to do but these things can't happen in in like a day you know it takes time for them to all happen and think about it and plan it and do whatever but i think mark may 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 be proven right that give them a couple of years that the majority of the things that they said they were going to do when they met mark will will have happened but time time will tell as always so we watch this space uh, with eager anticipation i think on the whole they're doing a decent job they haven't they haven't dropped a, too many bollocks yet I still think, frankly, personally, Mark, they they need to do a lot more. I know they're trying a lot with the fan engagement, but I think they need to get the culture more. And not just them. I mean, this applies to the people that they employ. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. Something that pissed me off the other other day. The, um, you know, the come on Chelsea and carefree things on the video yeah. screens. The yeah. the fact they've taken down the iconic Hugh, St- Hugh Hastings photograph of uh, the shed end from... Uh, the Leeds match in 84. That's gone. Replaced by some stupid wanky graphic. Yeah? Did you notice that? Yep. yep. Well, that, that's appalling. Now, is that Todd Bowley personally saying that? No. Of course it isn't. No. It's his bloody marketing department. So they're the ones that need the rocket up the arse or to go out and speak. You know, it's no, it's no good just Todd or Danny speaking to fans. Danny gets it anyway. Todd's got to learn. But it's no good just them doing it. They need the people who are, are making the decisions in the middle layer. I mean, yeah, I don't the, know... score, the scoreboard. The scoreboard's a great example, Chich. Yeah. People fix in. Um, in the 80s, when Chelsea first had a scoreboard, the fans actually used to take the piss out of the scoreboard um, because they used to type up, come on you blues, and people would spell it out and laugh and stuff like that. You don't, you know, you do not need a scoreboard to create an atmosphere at the football, or football ground. You do not need someone typing up "Come on, you blues" or "Carefree." You know, an atmosphere of football ground is created by the fans themselves, not by a bloody scoreboard. So, whatever idiot thought of that ought to be taken out and have a, a sharp kick up their rear end because that was. And actually, the other thing as well is the music is key as well. Yeah, and that's changed, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that's changed as well. Whoever's done that, another another ass kicking. The, the certain songs, certain games always get played. Their name is also going in the list. Uh, as exactly. Yeah. yeah, but that's what I mean. But that's that's not Todd or, or Danny making those no, decisions. Not so. That's 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 mid ranking marketing people. They're the ones yeah. that need to grasp the culture and learn about it. And the only way that they will do that is by talking to us. I had a meeting where I, I can't really tell you too much about it, but let's just say we had a bit of a row. Okay? Uh, I mean not personally, because it's not really my style, but they did something to piss us off involving a Kerry banner in a certain part of the stadium. Uh, and I, as a consequence, got to meet the guy who deals with global fan engagement. And he's a lovely guy. And I, I, I met him and was very polite and everything else. But I did make that point. I said, all you have to do is ask us and talk to us. I said, what you guys have got to remember is that actually we're not enemies. We're all on the same side. Why? Because we love Chelsea and you work for Chelsea. It's, it's a no-brainer. Just talk to us. Ask us. We're not going to bite your head off. We'll be, be we'll be delighted to be asked. 
You know, it's pretty simple anyway. Don't get me started. I'll never sharp about that one. You know what I'm like. Daryl, did I have a hint of a, a, a of chipping in there? Um, yeah, sorry. I just, um, as it is Holocaust Memorial Day, whose decision was it to take out the memorial at, on the West End? Anyone? No idea. No, I don't no. know who's done that. Yeah. No. I, I I don't have any idea, mate. Yeah. I don't know who we yeah. can. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. I I I'm appalled by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was it was it was a great thing, and it was you know past players, yeah. and it was just what are you doing? Yeah. But you know, they made the decision; it's gone. So I don't do? I, I, look. I don't know this for a fact. So this is just an opinion, not really based on any fact. But I I, I do get a sense that there's a a bit of you know year zero going on. Yeah. You know, there's a bit of expunging of anything yeah. to do. With... Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they're basically, you know, airbrushing Roman out of Chelsea's history, and uh, I'm not happy about that because I just think that's dumb, frankly. Because you know we're not stupid; we see it. <laughs> you know, you can't pretend you you know you, you you cannot unsee what we have seen, as opposed to saying to the Man City things you'll see. You know, we've seen things you'll never see. You know, so you can't unsee what we've seen. It existed. It happened. It was a glorious 20-year period in our history, and it should be recognised as such. You know, I often wonder whether the... You know what a conspiracy theorist I really am. I mean, I, I often wonder if there's been a little bit of the evil hand of the Conservative government in all this, because remember this, folks. There's only one reason why why Roman Abramovich is no longer the owner of Chelsea, and it's to do with the politics involved with the Tory government. It suited their purposes. So we don't quite know how much influence they wield. But I tell you what, we got a sniff of we got a sniff of how much influence they wield uh, by the fact that they nearly destroyed our club. You know, they had it in their power to move the date in terms of when Bowley uh, was able to bid for it, which would have sunk us. They had the power to say, no, we're not going to fund the club anymore while we're in sanction mode. They could have put us out in business like that, you know, just like that. So I wouldn't put it past them to say, well, you know, we've given you, we've given, you know, we've accepted because it was, it was a bid to the government, if you remember. We accept, we accept your bid, or that was, it had to be ratified by the government. We accept your bid, uh, but yeah, you have to airbrush Roman out of the history of the club. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. I don't know, and it's a good old chidge conspiracy theory, but I wouldn't put it past them. Stranger things have happened. Mark, we haven't seen the small print, but I think, I think probably the. Best example we saw at the trust, and ironically, we had, and this is a, a to the club's credit, uh, perhaps a, a sign for good work and relationship in the future. We had a really positive meeting yesterday about planning the next Stamford Bridge sleep out. And in years gone by, we've had to fight tooth and nail for some of those things. But the club were there with our meeting at Stoll yesterday, and we met with them afterwards. So we're working hand in glove with them. They're trying to get far greater involvement from within the club this time around because all the sleep out did was generate them free publicity and we did all the graft and all the work. But the thing I was going to say about the political side of things, the other side of the coin about politicians is they are always worried about what people think. And we didn't know about the sleep out until a couple of weeks beforehand last year. And obviously we've never shared it, but we had to write to certain high profile members of parliament and very strongly worded letter about the importance of the sleep out going ahead and like the potential backlash that might come their way because football fans vote as well. You know, they are political people as well. And lo and behold, within no time at all, 
certain high-ranking politicians through the club gave us the green light for the sleep out. Yeah. So sometimes you, you, when you're dealing with politicians, you can't play nice. Yeah. Never play nice. play nice. They don't Never, play nice. Never, ever, ever play yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, just um, Matt, I'll, I'll bring you in in a sec, but uh, I just want to echo that really because I mean I, I spent a lot of time dealing with the old regime. I've spent less time dealing with the new regime, but I have had dealings with them, and it's the difference is, is like the difference between light and day. I mean, I got on with a lot of the old regime. I got on with Bruce Buck and uh, Steve and quite a lot of the others, um, but you know it was always a fucking struggle, like banging your head against the brick wall to get anything you needed. You know, it was like getting blood from a stone. The the new lot are great. They're they're amenable. They're friendly. They're polite. They're respectful. And they don't muck about. If you want something and they think it's sensible, you get it. It's really, I mean, what Mark might not know, but I've, I'm, we're trying to set up a meeting for the over-the-line stuff, you know, the mental health stuff that we got involved with, or I set up, or helped set up. And, uh, you know, they're really foursquare behind a lot of things like that. And, and, and they're proactive, you know, whereas it was always us having to go and beat on the door and say, please, 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 please. So there's a very different atmosphere and vibe there, and it's very pleasing to see. Anyway. You'd enough. be pleased to hear that that came up in our meeting yesterday, Chidge. Yeah. So we, we talked over the line through with them. So I think there'll be a meeting you'll be invited to shortly with the club. Yeah, yeah. Precisely Cl- on that topic. Yeah, yeah. Cliff, Cliff's been in touch. I'm just hoping I Good. can go because there's, there's literally – I have a one, two-hour window in, in a week. So hopefully they'll be okay. Anyway, enough of me. Uh, Matt, last word of, last word for Matt. Great. Thanks a lot. So uh, two things. First of all, I just want to say to YouTube, thanks so much for, for doing a Q&A. These are always such great fun. And, and you never quite know what's going to come up. It's really fabulous. And for me, I think, you know, despite all the football and talk of the new owners and signings and, and uh, memories of years gone by, I think the most exciting thing for me as I think about it is renaming Fulham Broadway Chelsea. <laughs> and if you, if you if you can imagine the London Transport Roundel with Chelsea going through the middle, that is just, we should try and do get that done anyway. That is just brilliant. I'd never thought of it, but I, that is just so exciting. I'm going to Chelsea. What stop do you need? Chelsea. Brilliant. I, I only thought of it then. I mean, honestly, it's never even it's occurred brilliant. to me before then. It's a brilliant idea, Chief. Yeah, well, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Start well, a petition to somebody. Yeah. Well, there we go. No, but it would be, wouldn't it? You know, it'd make a lot of sense if their plans do comport with that. Was that was yeah. that was that was it? There was no more no more questions. No, that was it. Just I just want to say that. Well, Matt, it's very kind of you to say that, and and I have to say, I mean, we we, I mean, Mark, Mark's not done one of these kind of solo, as it were. So, what do you think? No, I've done it with JK a few times before, but never never done never done it solo before. No. Really enjoyable, and it's always good, these things. It's a shame, obviously, just by pure location, we just can't all be in a room and have a pint together. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's great doing these things online and just talking to you know fellow Chelsea fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, Matt, it, 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 I, this is, I have to do no work for this. So it's a, I mean, there's, no, there's no script, there's no running order. It's just us lot talking to you lot. It's a joy to do, and I love I love doing them. I mean, it's nice when we've got people in and who are engaged, and we have tonight, which is great. So I love doing them, and I, I you know, the fact that we're out of the FA Cup this year means we can probably do a few more if you're interested. And, and and as Mark said, the joy for us is that we get to see and talk to you guys. Who I mean, you know, you 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 you're always very kind in saying, you know, that I put in lots of work and the boys put in lots of work doing a show. You put in a lot of work too. You have to bloody listen to them, and they, 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 you know, they're not an easy listen. They're two, two and a half hours bloody long, you know. 
So it's really nice for us to be able to see and see and talk to you as well. And and I've been lucky enough to meet a few of you, you know, and it'd be lovely, particularly you boys from the States, if you ever get over, you've got to let me know and we can see you for a pint. That is what it is all about. That is what it has always been about. So a great day out interrupted by 90 minutes. Absolutely of right, Mark. Now, yeah. I, Brian's got his hand up. So, Mark, what will it take to get you into Discord with us? Ah, Wow, that's a really good question, Brian. As Chidge will tell, I'm rubbish with technology. So I think what what I need Chidge to do once more is send me the link to how to get in. He did it, he did it before, absolutely guilty as charged. I failed miserably in trying to get in there. But no, yeah, I'd, I'd you know, thing for me to do, I definitely need to get involved in Discord going forward. Love to get involved. Yeah, I'm just rubbish with computers and technology. Yeah, I mean, on that point, I, I need to do better. That's all I'm saying. All right. I, I, I do what I can, but I, I need to do better. I know that. Um, Listen, you, you set up the community. We're, uh, every single one of these guys that are on this Q&A are in there, and it's it's just a big, happy family most of the time. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's lovely. I mean, I, 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 probably, I probably read a lot more than I post. I mean, of course, you wouldn't know that, but I do. I, I check in on it, but you know, I, I I do have a ridiculously busy lifestyle at the moment, which is a bit annoying. But uh, I do try as hard as I can. But I, the other thing actually, which is a bit awkward for me, is when I'm watching games at home. Uh, it's clearly, you know, it should be very easy for me to be in Discord mm. with you lot. But I'm I'm trying to watch the game. And, you know, I, when I'm at home, I, I kind of have to be in a bit of a padded cell, really, to watch a game. So I'm trying to watch the game, but I'm also trying to write notes so that I can use them in the show because I pick up things and I write them down. And but I'm, you're also in a WhatsApp group with us. Oh, yeah. Well, box. they don't know that. But, I mean, <laughs> our, our WhatsApp group, when, when, it, when we're not at the matches, is as, and actually, even if some of us are at the matches, because we're, yeah, yeah. we're like, messaging who's at the match to say, what the fuck's going on? And they're messaging us saying, oh, we didn't see that. What the fuck? So that's mental. I'm checking Twitter out as well to see if anything interesting happened there. And I've got the Discord. So it's hard, but I, I, you're right. I, mu- I must try harder because, as, as Brian said, and Matt, it's, it's a brilliant group, Mark. I mean, there's some lovely people in there. They know their onions. Yes, it gets a bit heated, but it, nobody kind of falls out permanently apart from Mr. Stick. Oh, love you, Stick. You're welcome back any time, by the way. You know that. So there you go. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. But I, I you know, I, I just kind of have really, but I'll do it again. And thank every single one of you for coming along. Johnny, Daryl, David, Brian, Gabrielle and Matt and the lovely Bob, who we've known for a long, long time. Really lovely to see you all. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it tonight. I know Mark has, but I'll thank Mark massively for spending his Friday evening with us. And we'll uh, we'll definitely do it all again soon. Um, it would be remiss of me not to end the show with the usual nonsense that I end it with, so I'm going to. Um, we're back, not Monday, because we might have... Uh, uh, I might be doing an interview with Paul Ride uh, on his Ride to Hell book. Somebody needs oh, to... Oh, yeah, um, yeah. again, if people haven't read it, read it. It's a brilliant book, amazing book. Yeah, what Paul went through in that prison cell. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll find some more about it uh, on Monday if I manage to actually do the interview but we'll see uh the other thing of course is uh patreon if you like what you if you like what we do you can become a chelsea fan cast patron as many of the guys in here probably all of the guys in here have done um it's it's very simple you you know there's no pressure there really isn't i mean it, if, you, if, if if it's if it's a way for you to show appreciation for what you do then great 
uh, but you don't have to donate huge amounts, uh, you know, or, or none at all. I mean, we really we love you either way. If you do, it's patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. If you do, you get uh, a link to the Discord group where these boys hang out on a match day. And you also get, if you want one, a mini Kerry Dixon banner, a replica of the one that hangs up in the Matthew Harding end. Email us at chelseafancast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on the socials, Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Mark at Eddie Mac, B-A-W-A. Yep. There we go. You've been brilliant, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you next Thursday, because we're playing Fulham on the Friday. So there you go. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it Chelsea. Up the Chelsea! Up the Chelsea! TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.